Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I'm telling you right out of the gate, I'm coming in hot today. I am not happy with what has gone down here earlier today at the Oakland Coliseum. I'm starting to get frustrated by it. It's bugging me, and I have proof that I'm not wrong. When you have the proof, and people keep telling you the opposite, it's just moronic. I I, I keep being told that batting average doesn't matter. But yet, I have proof in my hand that will show you batting average matters. And you will not be able to dispute it. And Darren Bush talked today, the hitting coach, about maybe batting average doesn't mean as much. It's just about getting on base and scoring runs. Well, I proved yesterday in the postgame show that we call the A's Clubhouse show that the greatest players in the history of the game, the greatest players, because we honored Willie Mays, who turned 90 yesterday. So I went over some of the greatest players of all time. And what do they all have? They all have batting average. You're not a top 20 war guy if you didn't have a good batting average. You're just not. It's proof. I think the lowest top 20 guy is Ricky Henderson at like 297 for his career. And the only reason he's at 297 is because he played for 80 years. I was going to say he played a long time, so batting average might be a little lower than most. But, I mean, seriously, it, it, it is, it's, you know, Watching these guys punch out 12 times, I, I, I don't see the A's as a juggernaut scoring runs. So maybe they should change because I have proof in my head. You ready for the proof? Well, I will say quickly, they do have a minus 13 run differential, so that doesn't help. Y- you want my proof? Yeah, let's hear it because we'll play the Darren Bush audio later so everyone can hear Yes. It. So Matt Chapman, who has struggled mightily, he has struck out so many times it's unbelievable. But right now, he's got a nine-game hitting streak. 
Well, how do you have a nine-game hitting streak? Not by walking. How do you have a nine-game hitting streak? What do you have to do to have a nine-game hitting streak? Hit the ball, get on base. Do you know what his average is during the nine-game hitting streak? 343. 333. Wow, that was a great guess. But do you see my point? When Matt Chapman was scuffling, he wasn't getting hits. Now he's got a nine-game hitting streak because he's getting hits. He's 11 for 33. What you know? What, what, now, does it tell you in, in your, your your proof? What does it raise his batting average to on the season? Uh, I haven't looked. It's, uh, I believe it's 207. Yeah, it's bad because he didn't hit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, how about Ramon Laureano? Last 14 games, Ramon Laureano, what do you think he's hitting? 351. 321. Why is he hitting 321? Because he's been putting the ball in play. He's getting hits. And he's taking the ball the opposite way, too. He's hitting, getting a lot of balls into hitting the ball to right field a lot. Yeah, he beat the shift the other day with a ground ball to second base. He put the ball in play. How about Matt Olson struggling the last nine games? What do you think he's hitting? Oh, um, 221. 171. You want to know why he's hitting 171? Because he's not hitting. He's six for 35. Well, if he's a good hitter, why doesn't he hit good? I, I just, it, it's driving me nuts. It's just, it literally is, if you're, tr- if you're still trying to sell me on walks, stop it. Why did you get beat the last two days? Because the Toronto Blue Jays were hacking away, and they scored runs. And by the way, the team you're playing, remember, it takes four walks to score a run. Four. Team you're playing, the Tampa Bay Rays, are red hot. They've won five in a row, seven of three. And you know what they're doing? They're scoring runs. They've outscored their opposition during this five-game winning streak 31 to 14. And what should scare you to death? They lead the American League in runs scored from the seventh inning on. They've scored 54 runs from the seventh inning on. That leads the American League. You know who hasn't been scoring and makes everybody's bullpen look great? Whether it was the Orioles or Toronto. Uh, the A's. That'd be the A's. They really didn't score anything late. Yeah, and don't, uh, don't forget, uh, Tampa Bay also has a very uh, good and uh, shut down bullpen. So they're scoring runs after the seventh and they are not giving up any runs. They just swept a four-game series. In, in Anaheim, everyone's favorite team to win the AL West this year. Oh, they're going to win. Oh, they're going to they're gonna hit so many home runs. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani's been great. Mike Trout's been great. Anthony Rendon's hurt. Uh, Justin Upton's hurt. Uh, Albert Poulos is no longer an angel. So uh, I don't know. The Angels are four games under. And this race team is streaking. They've won seven of their last ten. You mentioned five in a row, and they're coming in the AL. And they're coming in the AL East. And we're going to see Rich Hill tonight, which we saw him pitch in the last series. And then you got Glassnell tomorrow. And then good luck, Shane McClan- um, McClanahan and Luis Patino are going to pitch on Sunday probably. <laughs> those guys have um, really good velocity coming up. All three of those guys. The only thing about McClanahan is yes, we saw him in Tampa, and his his stuff is incredible. I mean, throwing left-handed, throwing 100 miles an hour with a slider boring right in on right-handed hitters going like 92, 93. I mean, he is he's pretty incredible. But here you go. I think Darren Bush is backing his players, and that's what co- good coaches do in the media. But if you're telling me batting average doesn't matter and you got a minus 13 run differential, minus 13. 
Billy Bean has always talked about how important run differential is. You got a mi- even though you're 19 and 14, you're minus 13. Would you be minus 13 if you were actually hitting consistently? The answer is no. You know what the Rays run differential is? Can do you have it in front of you? It is. It's not that great, but it's in the positive. It's plus four. Yeah, I mean, and they're playing in the division where you know you got the Boston at plus twenty six, Toronto's plus thirty. Then again, they they won by five runs. Uh, what was that uh, Tuesday night, and they won or uh, Wednesday night, and they won by six yesterday. So that helps. But yeah, the the Razor, the Razor, they turned their season around because they're scoring more runs. And of course, you mentioned in the seventh inning, where the A's have the negative run differential. And yeah, it didn't help that they played Houston and L.A. to start the year, and they just got outscored by like crazy. And their run differential was like in the minus forties at one point, and they kind of climbed out of that. But they're still at minus thirteen. That's not good if you're a team that's in first place. Like it's not saying you're gonna, you know, it, people like to look at run differential and say that's the way you're gonna retract to the me, you know, the median. But I, I, I don't look at it that way. This team's too talented to not score enough runs, and I think it's going to come. But it is nice to see Matt Chapman hitting, but we'll go over, I'll go over it later. I did a breakdown on his batting averages against fastballs and breaking balls and off-speed. It is not good. I mean, even with the nine-game hitting streak, it is not a good season so far for Matt Chapman because Darren Bush talked about Matt Chapman earlier today when he did about a 20-minute session with the media. Well, the San Francisco Giants are in first place. Their run differential is plus 30. The St. Louis Cardinals are in first place. Their run, di- their run differential is plus 15 because all these teams hit. Padres hit. They're plus 16. Dodgers are plus 37. These teams are all over 500. I mean, mean, hey, hey. And let's say this. If there is a criticism about the A's, it's how they don't do well in the postseason. Well, guess what? When you're in the postseason, you're playing against the best pitching staffs. You're playing against pitching staffs that are pounding the zone. You know, if you believe that Bleacher Report article that we talked about where pitchers are throwing more strikes than ever, they're pounding the strike zone. So if, if you're hoping to be selective and you're looking to walk and you want to take a bunch of pitches, well, you're going to be down 0-2, 1-2, and you're not going to be in hitter's counts. And that was one thing that stood out, I think, for a lot of people in this last series is if you get a pitch to hit, the Toronto Blue Jays, they were hacking, making good contact. They're not looking to wait around, to walk. How many times have the A's struck out on the season? I'll have to pull that up. Um, it's they're one I they're not the league leader, but it's pretty high. Let me let me get it. It's on my other computer, but it's pretty high. If you look and you know what's alarming about the A's too? They're currently three and four on this ten game the season long ten game homestand. They're being outscored 111 to 89 at home. 111 to 89 at home. Now they're playing much better on the road, but still, I mean that—that's not. I mean to be three and four in this homestand against the Orioles and Blue Jays. Now I know the Blue Jays were a, a postseason team last year. The Baby Jays—they got a lot of good, talented young hitters on that team. But I mean the Orioles aren't there yet. And to be three and four in this homestand, hopefully you right to ship against Tampa, who is playing well. But 111 to 89 is the run. The runs scored and run, runs allowed and runs scored for the A's at the Coliseum so far. Now I'm on ESPN. Uh, this is pitching. I want to find it for the hitters because yeah, the A's have hit. The A's have hit home runs. There's no question. But as you mentioned, they've been outscored big time, and that is not good. That needs to change. And the way to do it is hit. I mean, seriously, not everything can be a home run. 
Let's see. Strikeouts. They're okay. ninth. Ninth in the league in strikeouts. They've struck out 293 times. The leader is Tampa Bay at 340. Let's see, where are they in hits? They're 17th in hits. I mean, you got so many teams that are just, they're just a better hitting ball. They're better hitting ball clubs as of right now. The, you, are, you, are, you are what your stats and your record says you are. And where the A's have lived well is obviously with some pitching. But, man, I just, I, when I, I don't want to hear the hitting coach talk about just, you know, this. It goes back to the movie Moneyball. Do I care how he gets on base? Yes, I do care how you get on base, Brad Pitt. Because you know what? It's a lot easier to get two hits and score than to walk four times and score. And if you don't hit and you struggle to hit good pitching, you're not going to win anything in the postseason. You'll win nothing. And we're talking about the A's struggling when it comes to hitting. Rich Hill's a big breaking ball guy. Loves his curveball. Well, he, hitters, fl- he flips that baby up there all day long. Uh, hitters only hitting 182 versus curveball. What are the A's hitting against breaking balls this year? Oh, I bet it's her- her- horrific. Well, I'll tell you, they're 26th in baseball. I did the research. They're hitting a whopping 173 versus breaking balls this year. Is that, I mean, that, that's not good. No. Their fastball, their fastball average isn't very good either. It's, I mean, it's, it's not as bad as this, but it's like I think it was around like 240 or something like that, 243, somewhere around there. It was like 20th in baseball against fastball. So I know velocity's up all around the league, and Darren Bush, you know, comment on that too. I think Shannon Rubin from the Mercury News asked him about, is he, you know, alarmed by the, you know, the amount of balls not being put in play? And he goes, you have to credit the pitching. Velocity's up all over the league, and, um, you know, yeah, I mean, he's right, but but no one. I mean, other teams are hitting. Yeah, other teams are scoring runs. I mean, other teams. I mean, other teams are scoring runs and hitting, and they're not hitting home runs all the time. I mean, the Marlins have a plus run differential. They don't hit a lot of home runs. I mean, they're the only team in their division that has a plus run differential. I, I mean, it, it, and, and the numbers that we're giving you, if you took out just a couple guys, right? If you took out Ramon Laureano, you took out Jed Lowry, and you took out, let's say, Mark Canna, then what? I mean, look at these at Sean Murphy, I, I know he started to hit, but he's hitting 218. Matt Chapman's hitting 205. Steven Piscotty's hitting 214. Elvis Andrus is hitting a buck forty-three, and Tony Kemp. These these are your starters today. Tony Kemp's hitting two oh five. Really, I mean, he, he he's struggling right now. But the only guy that's got a halfway decent batting average is Matt Olson at two eighty. Everybody else, I mean, I'm not impressed with two forty-eight. I mean, I know Mark Canna's getting on base, which is great. He's in the top. He's in the top twenty, I think, in the league on on base percentage. But his batting average isn't there. But, again. Can you uh, imagine what his numbers would be if he had a batting average? Yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, he does have five home runs and nine RBIs, and that's your leadoff hitter. That's not bad. I mean, we're a, mu- a little over a month into the season. and But he has, like, a bond. what is his on base, like 390 or something like that? That's that's still really solid. For no a guy doubt. That, for a guy you didn't expect to be, one, a leadoff hitter, uh, two, who's playing center field for you tonight. Uh, so I, I'll take those numbers, and his batting average will go up. It, He's never been a big batting average guy in his career. He's just had always been a big on-base percentage guy. Well, he gets hit a lot. Yeah, and he, yeah. Well, I mean, he is the most hit Oakland A player of all time. But when you got one, two, three, four, five guys, think about this. You've got five guys in your lineup hitting under 220 with the hitting coach saying batting average doesn't matter. I mean, are you serious? Hitting under 220? That's just, I mean... The back, the back of your lineup is just, it doesn't hit at all. 
That's what I'm saying. If you're not getting production out of Canna, uh, Ramon, the laser, Olsen, or Lowry, you're not getting anything. And I just, it, it, it bothers me. You know, if they did this and won the World Series, I wouldn't say a thing. But when you're just happy to get out of one, one playoff series for how many years? The first one since 2006? Yeah, 2006. Well, maybe you should start thinking batting average matters. Because this strategy may play in the regular season. You, you know, last year, you were not beating the Dodgers with this style of play. If you want to be a World Series team, if you're serious about that, you got you got you got to change your strategy. You're not walking your way to the World Series. I don't care what anyone says. Well, it's uh, it's always an honor and a pleasure to have on one of the great voices of our game, Dan Schulman, with us here on A's Cast Live. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well, Chris. Thanks. How are you doing? Uh, we're, we're, we're doing good. And, and you know, it's always interesting uh, when talking to you about the, the, the baby Jays, as we like, to, we like to call them. They had a great weekend against Atlanta, and I'm really looking forward to this series. This is going to be a lot of fun. It really will be. I mean, Oakland's obviously, you know, a really good team again, had a 13-game winning streak. And uh, the Blue Jays are interesting. I mean, there are some baby Jays, but there are also some older Jays. And, you know, <laughs> after they made the playoffs last year, the, the expectations are very high this year. And, and this will be a really good test for both teams, I think. Yeah, and I, I just think about these guys are so kind of battle-hardened now because of having to play in Buffalo last year. Now you're playing in Florida. You don't really have a an exact home. It seems like, you know, for these guys, the majority of their games probably feel all like road games. Just talk about how that's toughened up this team. I think it has. You know, and last year I thought they handled it really, really well. And, you know, they, they could have gone two ways. They could have felt sorry for themselves. Or they could have said, you know what, let's let's deal with it and, and hope it's a bigger inconvenience for the visiting teams than it is for them. And, and I think that's what it turned out to be on some occasions. This year, at least at the beginning of the year, they had certainty they would be in Dunedin for a while. Um, they're going to go to Buffalo, and I suspect it'll be late May, early June. And then they're hoping to come to Toronto at some point. But, of course, we don't know. We have no idea. So... Um, it, it, it has been hard, you know, think about going two full years without playing a single game in your home ballpark. Um, you know, obviously there are much bigger issues and bigger concerns about the pandemic, but you know, in our little corner of the professional sports world, it's, um, it has been challenging for them. And I, I give the, you know, the core players, the leadership players, on the team, a lot of credit for how they've dealt with it. Yeah, I mean, people need to understand. I mean, these guys have wives, they have kids, they have lives. You know, now you got to find a place to live where normally you're just there for spring training. And then the other thing I think about, if they go to Buffalo, where's your AAA team? Is they're, they're about to start up. So uh, I'll answer the second part first. So Buffalo will be playing in Trenton this year. Trenton. I think was the double-A team, Trent, New Jersey, I think was the double-A team of the Yankees last year. Um, and when, you know, baseball, as you know, they eliminated a lot of minor league teams and some towns were left without an affiliation. Trenton was one of those. Um, and because I think it was a double-A park and geographically it's in the right part of the country, the Blue Jays have moved their triple-A team to Trenton. So they're still the Buffalo Bisons, but they'll be – 
in New Jersey. They're there now, and they'll open up their season there tomorrow. Um, in terms of, um, you know, living in different places and so forth, there's a, a woman who works with the Blue Jays named Shannon Curley, and she is like the superhero of the organization. It's her job to help people get acclimated, get settled um, in a new city, in, in a new country, in normal times. You know, and, and I know she was a part like of the Marcus Simeon welcoming party and the Marcus Simeon pitch when they tried to and succeeded in signing Simeon. Shannon was on the Zoom call and, and was trying, you know, helping to explain to him some of the things about Toronto and she would be able to make him feel comfortable and, and that sort of thing. So I, I think the Blue Jays, and, and let me tell you this, Toronto is one of the most beautiful cities in North America. It's a great place to play baseball and, and earn a living. But I think people in Toronto understand sometimes there's a bit of an adjustment period for other people. Now you put the Buffalo and the Dunedin on top of it, and the Blue Jays are used to having to work extra hard to make people feel comfortable. And I think it's one of the strengths of the organization. I think a lot of people are going to see the highlights of what we've been able to see already here at the ballpark to where you're just about every A's player, A's coach came over and hugged Marcus Simeon. He meant so much to this organization, a Bay Area native, a Cal grad. Uh, you know, his, his, his wife also went to Cal. You know, we had Mark Canna on earlier. They grew up basically together going to Cal and, and basically, you know, all their time in the big leagues uh, were together here in Oakland. Just what do you think this homecoming is going to be like for Marcus Simeon? Well, I just got off a Zoom call that he was on about uh, half an hour ago. And, and as you know, Marcus is not like an outwardly emotional guy. Um, but I think it's going to mean a lot to him. He'd already had a chance to reconnect a little bit with, you know, some of the security in clubhouse and parking people as he made his way uh, into the ballpark area. And I guess I, I, I hadn't put two and two together, but I guess he had a chance to visit with some of his uh, former teammates um, in Tampa Bay over the last week or so because the Blue Jays were there and they crossed paths with the A's and now he'll do it again now. Um, just got off a of Zoom with Bob Melvin as well, who said, you know, he's kind of used to this, you know, players leaving and showing up in another uniform. But this one, you know, hurts a little bit more than most, not only because of the player that Marcus Simeon became in Oakland, but also because of the person that he is. And, you know, you mentioned Bay Area native and all that, but um, you know, Bob spoke about his leadership qualities, you know, what an incredible person he was, the imprint that he has on the community. And uh, I, I think it's going to be a little emotional for everybody. But as soon as the ump plays ball, uh, you know, now he's going to be trying to beat them. Blue Jays are, uh, you know, every game's important, even though it's early. And uh, Marcus Simeon's a very important part of the team right now. So, you know, the funny part was he said the weirdest thing was sitting down and watching video of Frankie Montas trying to scout how to hit him when he's been playing behind him for the last three, four years. So, you know, it's the little things we don't think about that stick out on the players' minds. Yeah, he, I mean, he was such a big part of the Oakland A's. Dan, his father would call my talk show. I mean, I mean, we got to know his <laughs> wife, great. his kids. It's like, but it, it's great that uh, he's having success. The thing that scares me about this series is, you know, just sweeping the Braves, outscoring them 26 to 12. I'm looking at Bo Bichette's red hot. Uh, Vladdy Jr. is hitting 545 over his last five games. I mean, you got some guys who are really swinging the bat well. Yeah, some, not all. And, and this team is expected to score a lot of runs if everybody gets healthy, and they haven't quite gotten there. I think they've only had one game all year with their best nine in the starting lineup, and they won't add to it in this series. But uh, Vladdy's a different guy than he's been the last couple of years. Much more selective, has a really good game plan, using the whole field, 
getting the ball in the air more. Bo Bichette, um, incredibly streaky. Uh, I shouldn't say incredibly streaky. Streaky, incredibly talented, um, and hits rockets. Just hits rockets. Uh, very aggressive hitter. Um, Kevin Biggio scuffling a little bit right now, so we'll see uh, how he does. Uh, George Springer won't play tonight. He's only played a handful of games. Just came back from a quad injury. Teoscar Hernandez is just back from COVID. He was a Silver Slugger Award winner last year. And then down below that, you've got, you know, Simeon, Randall Gritchick. There, There's a lot of length in this lineup. And if they stay healthy, the expectation is, is that, you know, they'll be one of the top two or three offenses in the American League. Yeah, and the East has been interesting with the Yankees being down. I, I know they got to 500. Uh, we didn't think the Red Sox were going to be this good. The, the, the East has been uh, – it's been fascinating to watch from afar. It, yeah, and it will be. I, I think it's got a chance to be a four-team race, no disrespect to the Orioles, who are getting better, but they're not there yet. Uh, like you said, Yankees started poorly. Now they're back at 500. They're going to be fine. I don't know if they're going to be great, but they're going to be good. Red Sox started great, and I think they'll fall back a little bit, but I don't think they're a pushover. I think they have uh, every capability of being a 500 team. Uh, the Blue Jays should be a good team, maybe not a great team. They're not like a fully formed, mature, contending team yet. They're still growing, and the Rays are the Rays. And, you know, I know they lost Snell and Morton, and those are great guys, but their farm system is great. And if you told me, like, come September, you'd have four teams within five, six games of each other, maybe even less than that, I, I would buy it. I, I think it's got a chance to be that interesting a division. The only problem is, is if they all beat up on each other, get hard if you're not the division champ. But, you know, that's a, that's a problem for a few months down the road. And it, it, usually it's one of the most difficult divisions in baseball, and I think that's the case again this year. Yeah, and you think about all the national guys that we bring on this program before the start of the season. They were all about the Astros. They love the Angels, and nobody once again was giving the A's a chance. And then here they say, it's like every year, Dan, they go, you know what? Here the A's are again, and we didn't think that they were going to be yeah. that good. Well, if you go back to opening night and listen to uh, ESPN Radio's broadcast of the game, you will find that a certain national guy sung a different tune and has a lot of respect for the A's. Uh, and I, I always have. Uh, I mean, they they keep you know they uh, they keep producing players. They do it on a shoestring budget. They just find a way to get the you know the most out of their guys. Uh, their their the, you know the bullpen last year was. Uh, was so good for most of the season. They've got some good young arms in the starting rotation. I know they're not all you know, healthy right now and quite where they would like to be. You know, you got the defense on the corners and, and in center field. There are a lot of things to really like uh, about this Oakland team. And, and you're right. You know, teams like Oakland and Tampa Bay, they just do not get the respect they deserve. And that's a shame because they've done enough to earn that respect. Um, you know, you go to the playoffs six times in nine years, you deserve that respect. And you know, that's the kind of franchise the A's have been. That's why you're one of the legendary voices in our game. You get it. <laughs> well, I don't get much, but I, I get I, every now and again I get a little bit here and there. So uh, I, I appreciate it. But I, you know, I, I like I've got a little bit of underdog bias in me. I like the teams that don't get enough attention to get a little bit more attention. And you know, and it's funny in the U.S. the Blue Jays are one of those teams. I think and and. Um, you know, sometimes they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, and everybody focuses on the Yankees and the Red Sox. And, um, you know, right now I think they're starting to get some attention because of Guerrero, Bichette, and Vigio because of the last, you know, the last names and the, the baby Jays, like you said, and the talent they have. But, you know, I think Toronto teams are used to 
feel a little bit of that in the United States as well. So maybe I come by it honestly. Well, it's always an honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Have a great call tonight and enjoy this series. And let's talk soon. All right. I appreciate that. Some late nights calling it back east here in Toronto. Got to get a, got to get some coffee going before the, the 940 first pitch. <laughs> Take care, Dan. Yeah. All right. See you. Do we have one of my favorite players of all time, the former All-Star, and a friend of Marcus Simeon's, the great Bip Roberts, who you see on television on NBC Sports California. Bipster, how are you? Hey, Tony, I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I, I, You know, life is good. The A's are winning. I think what Simeon's going through right now, I think, is the exact same thing that happened to you when you went back to San Diego to take on the Padres. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's a, kind of a bittersweet feeling. You feel good about coming home, but you also you kind of reminisce on how it used to be when you were in that uniform. And I think what happens with that is when you get traded, you start to feel as though, well, somebody didn't want me, or you, you leave in free agency like Marcus had to because he didn't get an offer and, and, and everything that transpired from that. And I think what he wants to do is come home and show out. I think that's what he wants to do. But it's good to see familiar faces, but he wants to let everybody know what they let go. And, and I think that's going to be a driving force with him coming home this, this these next couple games. Yeah, right now it's Bob Melvin, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and Marcus Simeon all doing a little powwow behind the uh, hitting cage. Because you know how much all, so many of these A's, how much they love Marcus Simeon and what he meant as a leader, as a shortstop, as as a leadoff hitter. I mean, he meant so much, Bip, to this right. organization. You're absolutely right. You know, Marcus was a leader in that clubhouse, and he showed by example by getting out on that field early and working hard. And I think that brought Matt Chapman along with him. And I think, you know, Matt Olson, he started to see those same things, and they all had the same work habits. But it was Marcus who led them down that path and was the leader in that clubhouse on and off the field. And, you know, when you lose a guy like that, it, it takes a, a while to get over that. You know, I had the pleasure of playing with Gary Templeton, and he was the leader of our team, captain. And when he was traded to the Mets, it just kind of demoralized me personally because I looked up to him and everything that I was was because of him. And, you know, when you lose a guy like that, it's tough to replace. You can't replace them. You have to now remember the things that they, that they led you by, by example, but they taught you. Um, and you have to take that now and be your own player. And I think that's kind of what Chappie and what Olsen are going through. You know, he had Marcus leading the way, and now he's gone. And you now have to reflect on the things that he said, the way that he led by example. And you have to kind of put that into your DNA, and you take it forward. You take the as we say you take the baton and now you move it forward well this is going to be a fun series uh, are you on tv this series no i'm home i'm going to be watching i may come out thursday i sent marcus a text just letting him know that hey you know even though you're not in our uniform you know i still support and love you 100 percent, and i want to see you do well so don't hurt him too bad get yours but don't get the W. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, they've got exciting names. I mean, the Toronto Blue Jays, I mean, uh, their fathers were such great players. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, uh, Biggio, they've got, a, they, they've got some older talent now, like bringing in like a Marcus Simeon. 
but they've got some tremendous young talent with these Toronto Blue Jays. They do. They have that bloodline, and that bloodline has made it all the way to the top. And what that what that lets you know is that these guys are for real. Because you could have the name of a former player, but that doesn't mean you're going to make it. But when you see a guy who has that name and he does make it, you know that he's legit. When you watch Guerrero right now, he's lost weight. He's taking the game a little more serious. And he's starting to perform. I mean, he is doing some things that right now his dad, you know, is probably real proud of him. He's saying, yes, son, I know you had that in you. You just had to get yourself in, in greater shape. And Dante Bichette is becoming a leader over there. You know, I mean, when you say Marcus Simeon was a great shortstop, but he has to move to second base because of Bichette. I mean, it tells you the talent level that's over there. So, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really anxious to see what type of team they have here. This is the first time I've really sat and just like dissected them. And now we get a chance to see exactly how good they are. Well, and one of the crazy things is, they haven't been home in two years. I mean, they're, they're, they're in Florida, for God's sakes. And then Dan Schulman, who's coming up here at the bottom of the hour, told us that uh, there, there's a point where they're now going to go up and play in Buffalo again. We have no clue when these guys are going to be able to go back in Toronto. And, Bip, you could talk to this. I mean, your spring training home, normally you get a place for spring training, but then you're leaving it after spring training. I mean, you got to find new places to live. I mean, wives, girlfriends, children. I mean, this affects so many different people, the fact that you can't be at home. It really does. And then you're going to go from one place to another place soon, and that's going to be called home. And so you have to uproot your family and take them now to Buffalo. I mean, I don't know much about Buffalo, but it's not Florida, and it's not Toronto. So when do they get a chance to really settle in? But, you know, I think baseball players are so used to making adjustments. You have to make adjustments every day at the ballpark according to who you're playing, who you're pitching, pitch by pitch, that these guys are saying, well, you know what, this is just part of it now. I mean, what can they do about it? I mean, they can't, you know, sit back and say, well, oh, what was me? I wish we were in Toronto. They still have to get results and positive results. So, I, you know, I've never been in that situation other than leaving that spring training and going to my home city. But to have to stay there and then play there and then uproot and move again, I mean, it's got to be a distraction. But they're not going to say it's a distraction because they have to stay focused. You know, you, you have to stay focused. You can't worry about what you can't control. And so I just believe that they have a, a bunch of guys, a great group of guys who understand this is how it's going to be. Let's do the best that we can. Let's get some positive results. But above all, let's have fun and let's find a way to win games. How about Mark Canna, tied for the MLB lead in runs scored? Did When you heard Mark Canna batting leadoff, what were your first thoughts, and what do you think about it now? I just didn't know what to expect. I know that Mark Canna is a, a studious ball player. He understands situations. He understands his role. And I think he wants to be the best that he can in his role. And I think when he thought, when he says, well, I'm going to be the leadoff guy, that means I have to find a way to get on base. I have to, you know, sharpen my eye and lay off pitches out of the strike zone, find ways to get on, whether it be walk, hit, error, whatever it may be. But he's become a great table setter. But he's also a guy that can, he can leave. He can hit the ball out the yard. I just think that he has really perpetuated the, the myth that guys can't go from 
one part of the lineup to another lineup. And I think he's that guy who's telling everyone that you can, if you just say, this is my role and I'm going to play it to the best of my ability. And, and that's what we see right now. He's playing the leadoff hitter to the best of his ability. And because he's a baseball player and baseball players, again, make adjustments, he's able to do that. And I am just tickle pink. I'm, I'm happy to see him do it. I'm proud of him. I'm glad he's doing it. I'm glad he's having success. Because again, you know, you could take a guy from the fourth, fifth, sixth position and put him in the leadoff and he has a bunch of failure and then he loses his confidence. But you know, Mark Cannon's a guy who he keeps his head high in the air. He knows who he is. He's very confident in his abilities. And he's the type of guy who has a chip on his shoulder and wants to show you he can do it. And he's doing that right now. You know, it's really, when you break it down mentally, hitting leadoff and that mentality that you're the leadoff hitter is different than the other eight positions in the lineup. Speak to how it's so unique and why it's so different from from the other eight spots in the lineup. Well, you're like a motorcycle. You got to get off the mark. You got to get the team going. First at bat, let's get it going. You, I used to hit it all the time. Come on, B, you leading off, let's get it going. It's not like, you know, hitting third, second or third, where you've already seen a pitcher and you know what he's going to feature. When you get up there as the first hitter, you have no idea what he's going to feature that day. But you have to figure it out for everybody else so that they now can get their scouting report. And I think that sometimes you become, as we would call it, you become the guinea pig. <laughs> but your job is to, <laughs> you know, but your job is to find a way to get on base, whether it be at home or on the road. At home, you want to get the crowd noise into it. On the road, you want to get the hush in the crowd. So as a former leadoff hitter, my job was to, to start the havoc from the first at-bat. And I think Mark Cano, he does a good job with that. He has great at-bats the first time up, whether he gets on base or not. The guys behind him now can see what the pitcher is featuring, and they can now make their adjustments. So that's what your job is, is to make sure that everyone from two down to nine understand the pitcher's pitches, fastball, curveball, slider, change. What does he do with one strike, two strikes? What is his out pitch? And so now everybody else goes up there a little more comfortable than you were the first time up. I, I love the guinea pig because, yeah, w w once you come back to the dugout, hey, how's he look? What's he throwing? How's the fastball? <laughs> like all of a sudden now you got to, oh, thanks, guys. I, I, I'm the first guy, and now I'm going to let you all know how, to, how, how he looks. Yeah, that can't be easy. By the way, what did you make of that inning Ramon Laureano had yesterday in the eighth inning with the catch and then the home run? You know, I always say that because guys are in the major leagues, they can at some point in time totally dominate a game. And it doesn't matter who it is. And he totally dominated that game in one inning. And, you know, I was sitting here watching the game. I went to church. I came home and I started watching the game. And I saw the play. And I was like, wow, that was that incredible because the ball snow coned when he hit the fence. It was just he did everything to catch that baseball. And he came up and he had fire in his heart. You know, that, that boy's got some dog in him. He's got some dog in him. And as he's running off the field, I could see it in him. And I just said to myself, he's going to hit a home run. But I didn't know he was coming up. I kind of, like, got up and walked away and came back. And here he comes up. And he does exactly what we've always said in this game. Guy makes a great play, comes up, and hits a home run. He just totally dominated it. But then 
when he's in the outfield the next time, he throws a ball to third, one hopper to third with a guy on second. And everybody just said, wow, you know. So with his arm, with his bat, with his glove, he totally dominated that game, turned it around, and helped the A's win that game. Unbelievable. I, 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 it's still it's head-scratching, Bip, that people will run on him. Like, like, are, are, you, are you not reading the scouting reports? Right. I, I don't understand it, but um, I think some guys just want to test you that day. They want to see if they can make you throw a ball and throw it off a little bit off to the right, a little bit off to the left. But when he gets behind the ball and he comes through it and he lets it go, he is total accurate. He, his accuracy is 100%. So, you know, if, if I'm the coach, i got both hands up. If the, when the ball, as soon as the ball is hit, I don't know where it's going, but if it's in the air near center field, I've got both hands up. Do not try <laughs> to run on this guy. <laughs> I, I And, you know, what you said is mentality. It, it, it's like he's got a – I know he wasn't a football player, but he's got a, like a football player's mentality. He's a tough guy. He is. And, you know, we use that term, he's got some dog in him. I get that term from Andre Ward, the former boxer. He'll say, because he, he does a lot of boxing and uh, comment, commentating, and he'll tell me sometimes, say, B, man, he's got some dog in him. And I know what that means. That means he's got some pit bull in him. That means don't mess with this boy, because he's got it. And he's got it. You know, when he talks, when he's doing interviews, he don't say much, but his eyes tell you, I'm not the one to mess with. <laughs> so he's a tough kid, and he plays that way. He charged the entire Houston Astros bench. <laughs> right. <laughs> never, never seen that before, and probably will never I'll see never, it again. No, that that tells you a lot about his mentality, right? He's like, "What? What you say?" And he charged the whole bench. <laughs> One versus twenty-six. He was ready to go. Oh man, either that or he's got some screws loose. But I like to say. I like to say he's got a big heart, and, and, as, and as Andre always says to me, he says, B-Man, he's got some dog in him. Yeah, he's got some dog in him. Yes, he does. Well, as Mike Tyson always said, everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, Bip, let's end on this. You still doing the real estate? I am. I am. What I'm doing now is setting up a program where we 1031 properties, and we, bring, we have them buy another property with the 1031. And that's a business term, 1031. You have a building, you sell a building, you take the proceeds and you slide it into another building. And what we've been doing is we now go out and get franchises for that building so that now your net growth is your growth. So you don't have to pay any expenses. The franchise comes in and they, up under that roof, take care of everything. You no longer have to pay any of those excess of bills, property taxes, or anything like that. And now you can actually make some money. So we're starting to send that out to all the ball players around the country so that they now can put their money somewhere and it'll become generational wealth. So we got a lot of things going and hopefully we'll have a lot of guys taking us up on it. How can people get a hold of you? You can call me at 925-548-3918. This is Intero uh, and Intero Commercial. I do both. So they can call me at any time. Just if you fight on answer, leave me a message and I'll get right back to you. All right, Bipster, be well. Let's talk soon. All right, man. Enjoy the game. Talk to you soon, my friend.
Our next guest here on A's Cast Live is an absolute A's legend. He's a three-time World Series champion. He's a World Series MVP, two-time ALCS MVP, led the American League in wins. He's in the A's Hall of Fame. He's an all-star and, of course, won the Roberto Clemente Award. And he's now a TV star. Dave Stewart with us. Stu, how are you? I'm doing absolutely outstanding. How about you? Uh, well, with the A's winning, I think from our standpoint here on A's Cast Live and your standpoint on NBC Sports California, we've had a lot more to talk about. Makes it better than it was that first six games, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And I, and I remember watching you and, and you're talking about you got to have patience. But, you know, the fans were ready to jump off the cliff after those first six games. Well, you know what? They, they've notoriously shown that. The beginning of the season is not their best time of the season, with the exception actually of last year. They got out of the gate pretty good in the in the shortened season, but I mean they just have not been notorious for starting off quickly. And so you got to give them a little time and let and, and and nothing's happening in this season that hasn't happened in seasons before. Bits and pieces are coming together slowly and before it all starts to gel, and and then they're really going to take off. And the bullpen. Stu has just been locked down and phenomenal. What are you seeing with this bullpen? Well, guys are starting to get comfortable in their roles. When that phone rings, they know who or they have just about as good an idea as, as you can of who's going to be coming into the game at that time. Uh, and so it helps them to mentally prepare themselves and get ready uh, to go in the baseball game and face the hitter that they're going to be facing. You know, knowing your role down there is, is so important for, for those relievers. Yeah, no doubt. And take us through what that's like as a pitching coach when you have this bullpen and you know who's hot, who's not, and you don't want to just run the same guys out there because you don't want to burn them out early. Well, you don't. But but as a, you know, the manager uh, is always going to have guys that he absolutely will only pitch in a positive role. Um, those are the guys that pitch when the game is tied or when the game is ahead. Then you've got your guys that, that pitch in, in, in not such, not as big a pressure roles, guys that will pitch probably one run down or when, or when, the, or when the team is behind. Um, and, and quite frankly, that, that usually works out well unless you're on a tremendous losing streak, then everybody's pitching in negative roles. But usually it works out good that you've got your negative role guys, you've got your positive role guys, and you've got your closer, you've got your, your setup. Those situations usually end up being exactly as uh, you want them to be. You know, right now Bob Melvin and Marcus Simeon are on the field having a chat. Uh, what was it like for you to come back as a Toronto Blue Jay to Oakland? You know, um, I don't remember – when I came back to Oakland, I can tell you what, they didn't give me the greeting that they gave Marcus Simeon last <laughs> night, that's for sure. <laughs> now, I do remember, but I do remember facing the A's in Toronto, and I believe the first time I faced them was in Toronto, and that was a, that was a strange feeling to have to face McGuire um, and some of the guys that I had played with and now to have them on the other side of the fence and, and, and have to compete against them, it was a really, really strange feeling. Like, obviously you have your own scouting report on them. H how did you do against the A's? 
I was successful against them. Uh, I remember the game in Toronto. I was successful against them. Uh, what's crazy is they, my pitching style um, didn't change very much. And those guys knew exactly how I was going to come after them. And um, I did, I, I pitched well against them in Toronto. You know, a lot of people, I don't think, remember you as a Toronto Blue Jay. But obviously you won a World Series there, and you played on some great, great Blue Jay teams. I did. Um, you know, playing with, uh, the, you know, the first name that comes to mind is Joe Carter. Um, that was the year that they were 1-2-3 and three in the American League batting title with Al Olrud, Alomar, and Molitor um, being 1-2-3 and three in the batting title in the American League. Um, Devon White uh, was my center fielder. I mean, I played with some really, really good players on that team. Jack Morse was in the starting rotation. Pat Henkin was a young, young pitcher who eventually went on to win a Cy Young. Todd Stottlemyre, Juan Guzman. Um, we had Tom Henke uh, on the back end with Dwayne Ward, uh, which both of those guys ended up being closers at the major league level. So we really had a, a, a really, really good team. And you, know, you can't forget Cheeto Gaston, the manager of that team, uh, one of the best managers and who could possibly end up being a Hall of Fame manager? You know, I think about the Toronto Blue Jays now, Stu. I mean, just how crazy is it to think they're going to be going on two years and they haven't been in Toronto? I mean, they, they were in Buffalo last year. Now they're at their spring training facility in Florida. And Dan Schulman, their longtime play-by-play -play man, told us yesterday that soon they're going to be leaving their spring training site and they're going back to Buffalo. I mean, they've just been on this road odyssey, and they've had success, and they got they got some great young talent. But just how tough is that when you really don't have a home? Well, it's really difficult for the players um, and their families, uh, without a doubt, uh, not having a home, uh, not knowing when you're going to actually play in Toronto. Um, as you know, their 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 uh, COVID protocol has been really strict up there, and so they're not allowing people into the country. <clears throat> um, and so that's, uh, that's been, been real difficult. And like I said, for the players and their families, um, at one point you're in spring training and, and now you're opening your season there. And then to be told that, Hey, we're going to play X amount of days here. And then we're going up to Buffalo and that's going to be our home. And probably at some point they will get the opportunity to play in Toronto, but, I really think that is extremely difficult on, on family life. You know, our first month of the season's in the books and already the talk about how strikeouts are at a record level. Um, the baseball we're finding out is different, seems a little bit higher. Uh, they're getting more spin rate uh, on fastballs and breaking balls. Uh, what are you seeing with today's game and the strikeouts just way out of control? <laughs> Uh, I mean, the strikeouts are out of control um, because, one, I mean, we're, we're, when you're talking about launch angle, um, I'm not sure that the players are really grasping what that is about. Um, it's, it's, it, it's Since that term has come in the game, strikeouts have gone up. So what, what basically is happening is the, the hitter's, where their, where their launch angle or their swing is in a more upward type swing, pitchers are being taught to pitch in that, I guess what you would call it, that gap or that opening in their swing 
um, which creates a situation where they're swinging through the ball. And so, um, you know, the analytics, the scientifics of the game um, have just created a, 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 it's really created a poor situation offensively. Yeah. How much when you were the general manager of the D-backs did you look at analytics to build, to build your team? I looked at it a little bit. Um, the D-backs were a little bit behind uh, when it came to analytics. And believe it or not, I'm a guy who everyone said didn't believe in analytics. Um, I started the first portion of their analytical program when I got there. They didn't have one before I got there. So my first year, we were just looking at slips of paper that were, were basically being generated by a, by a group of four. Uh, most people's analytics departments are 24. <clears throat> um, so um, I did use some of the information um, that was given to us, but um, still had to rely heavily on my my pro scouts and uh, my advanced scouting. You know, when I, I think about lack of offense and we need to get more balls in play, and one of the things we've talked about, is the shift good or is the shift bad for baseball? First, as a pitcher, would you have liked to have the shift behind you as you pitched? Uh, I personally, no. I don't have an appreciation for the shift. Um, I think it's tough enough to pitch out there um, than to have to pitch in situations where um, balls that would normally be outs and you don't have anybody positioned there to get them. Now, I guess baseball will say that a lot of outs are being taken, um, but uh, I'd much rather take my chances with traditional uh, with traditional fielding and uh, see how that works. I'm, I'm more of a traditional guy and, and really believe that your infielders should be where they are, um, that the outs are just tough to come by, and, and you'd hate for a mistake out uh, to cause you a baseball game. You know, is it just, I mean, you, you being an agent, is it just we're at a point that guys who hit home runs get paid? So as long as home runs pay, we're not going to see guys trying to beat the shift. We're not going to see guys trying to bunt because you don't you, you don't make money that way. I think what you're going to see, I mean, people say home runs pay, pay but um, I, had a, I had a client, uh, Chris Carter, um, who uh, one year hit 40 home runs, drove in 110, he hit uh, 220 and struck out almost 200 times. And the next year, he was a free agent. He was not re he was not resigned. His his, uh, his contract was non-tendered. So I, I think that there is something to be said about hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Um, but I do believe that there's also something to be said about hitting the ball out of the ballpark, driving in runs, and hitting for an average. You know, Tony LaRusso always talked about winning series. If you win every series, you end up winning the World Series. But just talk about how that truly is important because we're in a situation now where teams win their division winning 107, 106 games. And to get to that point, Stu, don't you have to be consistent throughout the entire year? Well, we played on – I played on a couple of teams that we won over 100 games. And I got to tell you what, it's a good feeling to know that you're going to go on and you're going to win two out of three in, in just about every series that you play in. Um, that, that's a great feeling. And, and quite frankly, it is pretty much a confirmation that you're going to make the playoffs and whatever happens once you get in the playoffs happens. Obviously the best team doesn't always win in the playoffs or in the world series because we lost to the Dodgers. That's for sure. 
and they beat us. They beat us soundly, but I really felt that even today we were the better team. Let's end on this. I mean, you've had a remarkable career. You've been around so many great people. I mean, uh, in the past, your your Sandy Koufax story is always awesome. But other be other than being a player, what's been your favorite thing you've done in the game outside outside of being a player? Uh, I would say, without a doubt, uh, um, you know, I was a minor league director for the Toronto Blue Jays and. When I was the minor league director for the minor for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I, I had uh, Roy Halladay was one of the players that I had an opportunity to help develop. Orlando Hudson at the time I was in the minor leagues uh, with those guys with a third baseman that I shifted over to second base and he became an all-star second baseman. Uh, 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 Josh Phelps, who eventually got some major league time, was was one of my was one of my catchers. Jason Worth, um, I was able to convince Gord Ash, our general manager, to make a trade for him uh, when he was in, in A-ball. Um, and uh, because we had such depth uh, in, in, in our catching, um, I was able to, to platoon him some at first, some behind the plate, and eventually moved him to the outfield. He becomes a, a, a major league all-star outfielder. So you know, helping players develop, helping them accomplish their dreams and become major leaguers, um, have an impact on how they think about the game, how they play the game, um, has by far been next to playing um, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Well, you know, it's always an honor to have you on the program. A's fans love you. Thank you so much for the time and have a great broadcast tonight. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live, he's the 2019 PCL Manager of the Year, Fran Reardon. Fran, 2019 seems like forever ago. Yeah, it's it seems like a lot longer than, uh, you know, 18 months ago. But uh, I know a lot of guys have waited a long time to start the season, and, and here we go. We open up in two days here in Las Vegas. How excited are you, your staff, your team to finally, as you mentioned, 18 months and to finally get back on the field well i I, you you can't overstate the excitement you know we we've had 18 months and that the 18 months has seemed like an eternity you know we've had two alternate sites in there half a spring training last year um a full spring training this year and you know now we're in las vegas the guys are ready to go chomping at the bit just the fact that we're going to have competitive baseball and the games are going to mean mean something and uh, the fans are going to come out. It's just a very exciting time, and uh, to a man, players, coaches, front office, fans, everyone's very excited. And I got to think your fan base is excited. You guys do great in attendance, and, and I guess you're going to be at 50% capacity. I'm sure all those uh, Aviator fans are chomping at the bit to get come back to the ballpark. Well, you know, we had a special year in 2019. Um, you know, we packed a house every every night. There's between 10 and 12,000 people here. They supported us. We had a very good team. We were entertaining. We hit a lot of home runs. We were we were exciting, and the fans really rallied around our ball club, opening up the new stadium and and just just all aspects of it was so special. And then to, to not have a season last year, uh, I think really kind of hurt the momentum of what what's going on here in Las Vegas. But to, to be able to play again, I think the fans are going to, you know, just come out and throw just to, to get behind this ball club and, and baseball in Las Vegas. 
Well, and let's be honest about your offense. We we joked with you in 2019 that you're the manager of the greatest offensive team the game has ever seen. I mean, your offense was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it was it was just good hitting. And it didn't matter it didn't matter what spot in the lineup came up. There was there was opportunity for damage in, in, in all all lineup spots and and like we've talked about before, we hit over 250 home runs that year, broke the Las Vegas home run record by probably 60. And it, it was just a really fun brand of baseball that the fans really loved. And it was a very special offensive team that year. What do you think some of these players really learned about themselves at the alternate site, whether it was San Jose or Stockton? Well, I, I think that's player dependent. I mean, everyone's different and every player got something different out of the alternate sites. But I, I think you learned that you were you were fortunate to be invited to the alternate site. A lot of great players were sitting at home last year when we were in San Jose. Uh, there are a lot of great players in our organization that didn't get an opportunity this year at the alternate site. And I think the guys appreciated that, understood it, and then they took that in, into their work accordingly where they, you know, whether they were competing against another team or not, they did their work and they tried to get better with, with some urgency. And that's really the only way to get better if you don't have a season, which was the case last year. And I think our guys did a great job of that. And, and I think a lot of guys got quite a bit better. And for you guys, I, I mean, you guys are teachers at heart. I talk to Bob Melvin about this all the time, you know. Everybody just thinks about winning baseball games. It's you guys are coaches, you're teachers. What was that like for you and the staff at the alternate site? Well, each one was different. We had a lot of young guys at our alternate site last year. Um, it was a, a huge mix of age from anywhere from 18 to, to 34. And, you know, the younger guys were soaking in as much as they could from the older veteran type players. This year's alternate site was a little bit different where it was more triple-A roster ready and guys that you know had an opportunity immediately to go help the major league club. So the all sites were a little bit different, but at the same time, you know, everyone needs to get better. And this, this holds true for every minor leaguer, every major leaguer, and the same things that Bob Melvin talks about, teaching and, and helping guys become the best version of themselves applies at the alternate site, applies in triple-A, applies to all levels of the minor league. So it, it was an opportunity to have a lot more one-on-one -on -one time to talk about players' individual strengths and places where they need to improve and, you know, just kind of matching up their work with who they wanted to become as players to become productive major leaguers. And I know you have to mix it up and have some fun, and I'm a member out at Cinnabar Hills, and I know you guys showed up there a few times because uh, they would tell me, hey, your guys were here yesterday, so you got a little golf in. I mean, you had to make it some fun too, right? Oh, yeah, and, and golf was a huge part of that because that was one of the only approved activities that we could do and, and do together in a safe way following the protocols. And I tell you what, Cinnabar Hills is one of my favorite tracks. We wore that place out. And, uh, you know, we, we, had, we had four scrambles that we would have maybe once every 10 days and we'd go out there, you know, players and staff, and we, we would compete against each other and have fun. And it was, a, it was a great way to get away from the struggles of, you know, the protocols and the testing and the, the grind of just competing every day against ourselves 
and uh, golf was a great way to just kind of let everyone take a deep breath, relax, and have some fun. You know, one of the things that's going to be interesting about this ball club that you're rolling out here on Thursday, which hopefully we're going to air the game here on A's Cast because it's a, a day game for the athletics, is your starting rotation. You have a mature starting rotation. I know it's tough to pitch in Vegas. I, you know, it just it, it is what it is. But what do you think about your starters? I, I, I think we have a lot of starters that uh, are, are different. Um, other than the fact they all throw with their right hand, <laughs> um, but they all have, they all have great stuff. They all throw strikes and they're all true competitors. And I've seen, I've seen these guys coming up. I've seen these guys in AAA. I've seen them pitch in the big leagues and to a man, they, they are going to feed off of each other. And the fact that, you know, they're not going to give up the, the three run home runs that they're walking two guys. They're going to, they're going to attack hitters. And most of the starters have played here in Vegas. And they understand that you can really get hurt when you give guys free passes. And if you want to find out how good your stuff is in Las Vegas, you throw quality strikes and the hitters will tell you how good your stuff is. So I, I, I just think that we have five guys that are poised to do that and five guys that could possibly help the major league team if the need arises. Do you ever get to a point to where you pull a player aside and you say to him, you know, don't worry about the numbers. You're throwing the ball great. Because I know we've talked to David Force before saying you just can't judge the, a guy on his numbers down there because it's such an offensive game. And, of course, we all know about the juice baseball that's been used. So do you ever pull a guy aside and talk to him about that? Absolutely. And I think sometimes the guys only look at their numbers. And even if they feel great with how the ball's coming out of their hand and their stuff and their velocity – if they're not getting success numbers wise, then they start to get beat down with their confidence. And you have to have another perspective of someone that's looking at things differently and tell them, Hey, you're throwing the ball. Well, you just need to keep doing it. And the law of averages will get, will get your numbers better. And you can't let the, the atmosphere, the environment dictate how you throw you have to you have to be yourself you have to throw quality strikes you have to mix and match and change speeds and if you do that effectively you're going to have success and it doesn't matter if it's las vegas it doesn't matter if it's oakland a good pitch is still a good pitch and sometimes you know when when pitchers are so you know involved with just results they can't see the forest through the trees and therefore bad outings start to pile up on them so i think the sooner you can get somebody back to where they feel comfortable and confident going out there where they're not so results-oriented. They're just competing against the hitter, which is the, obviously the key to, to great pitching. Then the sooner they're going to have that success. How important is it to have great communication amongst all the skippers in the organization with Bob Melvin, with the front office and David's, David Force? to where you guys are all talking to each other about guys who are coming up to AAA or you may be getting a guy from AA or A-ball. How big is the communication? Hey, I mean, it's huge. You know, I, I text quite a bit with, with, with Bomel and, uh, you know, I just, I just FaceTime with Bobby Crosby, who's about to manage his first game in, in about an hour in, in uh, Frisco and AA. And you, you develop relationships with these other managers and coaches throughout the organization and the minor leagues and the major leagues. And, you know, we're all in it for the same reason. We, we all want success at the major league level. 
We all want to get the players in the minor leagues better so they can go up and, and produce and, and be great major league players. And communication is a big part of that. And just simply talking about movement and, and what player is coming to your ball club and things that he may be working on, it just makes everything kind of flow from the top down or the, you know, the lower levels up so that everyone's on the same page and a player can go from one level to the next and still work on the same things and still get better on a daily basis and still do the things he needs to do to become a productive major leaguer. Let's end on this. I don't think people really understand how Vegas has just exploded with sports from the Knights in the NHL, now the Raiders with the NFL and your guys' popularity. I just talk about how Vegas, which you know people never thought about Vegas as a sports town, but has now become a great sports town. You know, it really has, and it, it's not even a, a sleeper great sports town anymore. It is a legitimate, wonderful sports town. You know, you have the Raiders that just moved here. You have the, the Golden Knights, who, as an expansion team three years ago, made it to the, the Stanley Cup Finals, and this year they're again in first place. And the, the support that they get, you have the Aviators, who, uh, you know, broke attendance records in, in the PCL in 2019, and just the – the atmosphere in Las Vegas with, with all the different sports is so just electric that it's a, it's a really fun place to be and a really fun thing to be a part of. Well, it's going to be great to have you guys back. I'm so happy for you guys. You know, be well and be safe down there in Vegas, and let's talk soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's great to hear your voice. We miss seeing you, but it's just great to have you on the program again. Well, thank you. It's always great to uh, to be on and be in your company and, uh, and and see what we know and don't know about this uh, great game of baseball. Well, what we do know is the Rays are hot coming into town, having won five in a row. They're seven and three in their last ten. They were scuffling for a little bit, but talk about how the Rays have really rebounded and they're back in this thing just behind Boston. Yeah, you know what? About a week ago, uh, they were trying to stay out of the basement in the East. Uh, and basically what they've done is uh, when teams get on a roll, you know, you start to click uh, all together in different facets of the game. And, and it seemed early when the Rays could hit a little bit, they couldn't pitch, and then they could pitch, and then they couldn't hit. And so during the stretch, they've, uh, they've done both quite well. And, uh, and that really is, is the key, I think, to any team and just to see how often you can do that and how many runs uh, you can put together during a season where you've got all facets of your game somewhat in sync. And, and they've, they've been able to do that lately. Well, I don't know about you, but for us, it feels like we're actually in the American League East because we've only played the Astros. That's it. I mean, we've had Baltimore. We just had Toronto. Here we have you again for a second time. It, it almost feels like the A's are in the American League East. Yeah, and boy, if you are, I pity your travel schedule. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, the thing is about the East, you know, everybody predicted the Yankees. Everybody wanted to downplay the Rays. And I got to tell you, we know how tough you guys are. But just seeing Baltimore recently, they're much improved. And I got to tell you, these, these Toronto Blue Jays, they're now being battle-hard, not really having a home, and they got a ton of talent. I mean, George Springer's not playing, but they're super athletic. They're super talented. This AL East, I think, for the rest of the way is going to be very compelling. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, the Red Sox have been sitting atop the East. So I think top to bottom, when you look at all of these clubs 
in the AL East. It will be exactly that. And you better bring your A game and, um, you know, the, you know how the Rays mix and match. And, and that's going to be a real key for them to be able to do that and, and continue to be as innovative. I, I, I think we're starting to see them do that even more with their pitching. You know, two or three years ago, uh, they started with the opener. And, and it was kind of a hybrid at that time. And, and now what they've done, they have a couple of guys in the rotation who you figure might go six or seven. They have uh, the traditional three-year-old traditional openers role, like Kittredge, who will pitch an inning or two. And then you have some guys like Rich Hill, for an example. He may pitch three. He may pitch five or six, depending on how long he has gone between appearances and how well he's pitching. So it's um, it, it's a little bit, you know, the Rays always try to come up with something new, and, and I think we're starting to see that with how they're handling this pitching staff this year. Yeah, our old buddy Rich Hill at 41 years old still flipping that great breaking ball up there. I mean, it's just the fact that at 41 he's still, just talk about he's still competitive. He is indeed. You know, I, I think the last time out, he pitched uh, three innings against Houston, but the time before that, he uh, he pitched six innings and was stellar. So, um, you know, it, it's a different look. If a guy is uh, making his pitches and is uh, rested enough, you know, and, and he really is, I think, the swing guy between the opener and the traditional starter. How is it possible the Rays find all of these relievers? I mean, it's just amazing. It's guy, I mean, even though with Nick Anderson out, Diego Castillo's out, they still just keep finding all these guys that are blowing like a hundred miles an hour. How do they do that? I, I think they, um, you know, every almost everybody's into analytics one way or the other, and, and the Braves uh, and and the Rays sort of pioneered that, and I think what they do. Uh, every year, uh, they gather some arms. They see they see things in people that other clubs, for example, don't seem to see in guys, and and they build a, a pitching staff and they build a bullpen around. I'll tell you, Jeffrey Springs, it, I think, is this year's great example of that. You know, he was with Texas, he was with Boston. Uh, Boston really uh, let him go, and and the Rays arranged a deal, got a couple of arms, and and sent uh, a minor league player up there and Springs has been a key part of this bullpen. Who would have thought that, you know, uh, last August that, that that could be the case. They always seem to find a guy. They identify one or two things that a pitcher does well, and they match him up to those situations as best they can. And I, I, to me, that's the secret. And it's, it's a, it's a pretty remarkable characteristic of this club and what they have done year in and year out doing that. And then over the weekend, uh, A's fans, if they didn't watch the last series, they're going to see it this series. When you got Glass now, and he's incredible, McClanahan, we saw this guy uh, when the A's were in Tampa, this left-hander, I mean, that, 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 the stuff he has where he's throwing like 100 miles an hour with that slider, uh, just talk about the stuff the A's fans are going to see uh, after Rich Hill. Yeah, there's no question about that. With those two guys, you know, you've got it coming and going from the right side and the left side. Um, 
100 mile an hour is kind of the norm for those guys. And then you've, you've got Glass now, who's now throwing the slider and the curveball along with that fastball. And, and he'll use those at any time as well. And, and you know, the 100-plus fastball you'll see from McClanahan and a great slider. And for a young guy, he is um, he, he's pretty down-to-earth out there. He doesn't seem to have moments that are bigger uh, than uh, he is. You know, he's always up to the up to the moment in which he's pitching. And so I, I, uh, I think there's a reason so many people have been anxiously awaiting his arrival at the major league level, a pretty level-headed kid. You know, you've been doing this a long time, and years ago, you know, guys that threw 93 to 95, that was hard. When in your <laughs> career did you start looking up going, my God, everybody's throwing like 98 to 100 miles an hour? Oh, you're so right about that. Uh, Brian Anderson, my partner, and I talk about that all the time. Um, I remember a time, I, my first stop was with Houston. I spent eight years there. And, of course, Nolan Ryan came. And, and you know, he was the hardest-throwing guy along with J.R. Richard. But there was a time, you're absolutely right, when not only people are looking for 92, people sometimes, uh, there was there, there was actual concern that there weren't enough guys who could throw 90 that that actually happened in the major league level. And then you had guys who could throw 92 or 93 and boy, they had got, they had great stuff. You know, they were almost unhittable. And now, I mean, 92 and 93 in many cases, that's not even a changeup uh, <laughs> MPH now. So it's amazing, but you know, I, techniques, uh, that you know they say athletes get better all the time bigger and stronger and and there's no question that the uh, that the breakdown in technique uh, what they've done with that and try to try to make a delivery as efficient as possible I, I think you know we're, we're seeing things that we've never seen in the game before and and that's a whole other story we could talk about for hours in, in regard to how that affects the offense in this game and and is the game not as multi-dimensional as it used to be and and I think I think there are a lot of people concerned about that and I, I think that's part of what some of these experiments in the lower minor leagues uh, are all about trying to somehow bring that balance back because we do miss uh, a part of the beauty of the game you know hitting behind runners and all kinds of things like that uh, that that's almost disappeared. And I think it's an important part. We've somehow the game has to get back to showcasing the athleticism that is in baseball. I, you know, we just finished a, we finished a, uh, a series in the opening game of this road trip uh, in Anaheim. And I'll tell you with strikeout after strikeout, after strikeout, the guys are standing around, uh, you were looking for a pop-up or a ground ball. And I think, I think the game's somehow the game has got to get over that, get beyond that and showcase some of the great athleticism that's there on the field, but they don't have an, an opportunity to show people that athleticism. Oh, preach. I, yesterday I went on a whole rant on my show because yesterday was Willie Mays' 90th birthday. 
So I started bringing up Willie Mays stats. I started bringing up Hank Aaron. I started bringing up Stan Musial. The most Stan Musial ever struck out in a season was 47 times. We've got guys on our team right now that have that many strikeouts, and we're just over a month in the game. Absolutely. And, and here, here's, here's the other uh, conundrum to me. They want pitchers to throw high-velocity up in the strike zone. And then they tell their hitters, well, your launch angle needs to be at a, at a greater degree than it is. So you, you have guys who are trying to swing almost vertically with this pursuit of the ultimate launch angle. And then you've got guys who are throwing fastballs up and up and up at high velocity. So what are you going to do? You're going to pop it up. Sometimes you'll hit a home run. And most of the time, you're going to strike out. That's not what people want to see. And somehow that all has to change. You know, how tough is it? And I think we can say for our, our, our franchises are very similar. It is what it is. So if you're Kevin Cash or you're Bob Melvin, just you're constantly pulling people, especially pitchers early. You're playing percentages. You're taking guys at bats away. There's got to be flexibility. Just how tough is it for these managers to get buy-in when players and the movement and taking guys out? You know, there's some guys. You know, like I want to play the entire game. I want to get as many innings or as many at bats as possible. But you know, that's probably not going to happen. Just how tough is it to get the buy-in for these managers these days? Yeah, I think those two guys, uh, Cash and Melvin, I, I love both those guys. I've I respected what they do. They're smart guys, and, and I think they have a human element to them that's important. And, boy, I'll tell you, to me, that's a bigger challenge, it seems to me it would be, uh, as to how you do that. And, and I think um, in, in the case of the Rays, you know, some markets have guys with long-term contracts and once you get that i think it's more difficult for a buy-in of those guys but i think when you look at the personnel year in and year out in the oakland club and in the rays i i think there are players there attempting to establish themselves and and i think you're probably because of those circumstances going to get a little more buy-in than you might in a more established team with veteran guys who've been around. And I, and so I, I that's how I explain it. And I think both uh, Bob Melvin and Kevin Cash uh, have a full appreciation for the new approach to playing this game. They understand how it works and the fact that it does work because you have two teams who have limited payrolls and who are competitive and and win more than they lose. And I think that's the biggest thing that they have going for them and in, in trying to get the buy-in. Look, we're going to show you guys how to win, maximize your ability, maximize the opportunity on this team, and win some games. And that's, that's, at the end of the day, I think what they have to fall back on. Well, it is always an honor to have you on the program. We truly appreciate the time. Uh, have a great call, have a great series, and we'll talk soon. Looking forward to it always. Take care of yourself out there. Marcus Simeon now joins us here on A's Cast Live. I can't tell you how great it is to hear your voice. How are you? We miss you. I'm doing well. You know, it's, it's been nice to be at home, stay in my own 
my own house, sleep in my own bed, uh, be around family again. And uh, the only difference is I'm on a different team. So it's a little weird, but everything's good. Yeah, I mean, you don't know what this moment is going to be like, but obviously you were fine. you're going to come home and you're going to play against the A's. What was the experience like and the video tribute and, and everything for your family? Uh, it was great. I mean, everything was first class uh, from the A's, and I just want to thank David Force for that, you know, putting that out for me. Uh, my family really enjoyed that, and I, had, I, I left a lot of tickets for everybody because I know it's 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 rare now to come come back home and, and play big league baseball in front of family. So it's something that I've been able to do for six years, but now it's you know it's once a year. You know, and then the relationship you still have with all the players is from up here in the press box, we've been able to see you reunite with so many of your friends. And I know like yesterday you had a long talk with Bob Melvin on the field. Just what has that been like seeing all these guys? Because I know they're like they're like family to you. Yeah, I mean, these guys, you know, they came up as rookies. I was, I was here you know, a couple of years prior, but I've you know, seen them mature into – you know, big league superstars. It, it, it sucks playing against them because they're so good. And they, they had good games the first two nights. And, um, talking to Bob, you know, Bob is like a, another father figure to me. He, he managed me for six years. I've, I've spent more time with him than any manager, any coach. So, it's, you know, he he's one of the best. He I think he is the best in the game. Even though these guys know they have someone special who cares about them. Um, and you even see the moves he made in, in the first game, just, you know, putting Lou in in the eighth against the heart of the lineup, uh, stuff like that is, is, is just a, he's a veteran manager. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. You got a lot of young talent around you. What's it like being, we, we call them the baby Jays. What's it like being around all these young guys and, and they're very aggressive, but uh, they're also very, very talented. Yeah. The talent is through the roof and, the maturity is there too. You know, I think it's just going to take experience. You know, this this first half of the season will be very important. Just uh, you know, go through some some things I went through as a young player. You know, and I think they are going to learn faster than I did, just because of their talent and and their, their pedigree. And you talk about a Vladdy and a Bo Bichette, you know, Bizio, Teoscar, Guriel. All these guys are so talented they hit the ball so hard and it's just i'm happy to be a part of that and anything i can do to help them along the way i'll do but you know i'm, I'm focused on helping us win first and foremost you know it's a very interesting um story going on with the toronto blue jays as you know you you can't play in canada you started the season at your spring training facility now you guys are going to go to buffalo does it just does it just feel like everywhere you go it's going to be a road trip? Well, that's that is kind of what it felt like in Florida. Uh, I know we're not done playing there yet, but there are a lot of you know Yankee fans. Uh, who else have we played? National fans, Braves fans. You know, it does feel like a road game, but we played some decent baseball there. Um, you know, it's a pretty good place to hit if the wind's blowing out. Some days it blows in, it's not too good, but uh, the toughest adjustment was probably just lower lights, you know, the mi- minor league lights 
uh, while facing big league superstar pitching. So that was an adjustment. Uh, but we, we've been playing good baseball. I think that the first month is always, you know, a slow, you know, for me it was a slow start, for other guys slow start. And then you get comfortable and you get rolling. And we'll just have to adjust to wherever we're playing. You know, two A's I want to ask you about. And one we just recently had on the program and we talked about you. We've talked about you a lot, Marcus. i got to be honest with you. There's, there's been a – I mean, from the whole off offseason uh, through this season, of course, we're always going to be rooting for you. But uh, a guy that you played college with, uh, you played for years with, Mark Canna. Uh, just talk about the year he's having to where, you know, we always nicknamed him duct tape because he can do everything for Bob Melvin. Bob Melvin has a problem. Well, you stick duct tape there. And the fact that he's a leadoff hitter now, what do you think about your buddy Mark Canna? I, I knew you were going to say, Mark. I just had a feeling because he, he looks so good out there. He looks comfortable in that leadoff spot. He stands right on the disc. He doesn't care if he gets hit. His on-base percentage is through the roof. And he runs the bases better than you think. Um, and I've known this forever. I always thought that him being at the top of the lineup was never a bad thing. So uh, he also plays solid defense. And he's a great teammate and great leader. So he keeps the guys loose. Uh, off the field as well and you know he's a guy you always want on your team and when you're looking at him from the opposite dugout other guys always ask me about him say what's that guy like he's just kind of like real intense I said no he's the best um, but I've also known him forever so guys like Mark guys like Chris Bassett these are people I've played with you know my entire professional career um, so it's crazy to be on the other side of it now and the other guy I want to ask you about, you played a lot of games with him at second base. Uh, it's just the amazing story of Jed Lowry. I mean, he he leaves here after, you know, two years that were just incredible. And he goes to New York, and he's hurt, and he barely can play. So he's basically off for two years. But then he comes back here to Oakland. It's like he never left. He looks like the same guy. Just what does it look like for you from afar watching Jed Lowry reestablish his career? Yeah, Jed looks great. I mean, his, he looks exactly the same. You guys are right. Um, I think that you go back to 2019, um, you know, he had the injury in spring. Never seemed to get better. Uh, and it seems like what he needed was a surgery that he got last year. So um, he, he looks comfortable now. He's obviously, I know they're trying to keep him off his feet a little bit more and DH him and give him days when he needs it. But every time he's in there, he's, He's a problem for the opponent. Um, you know, we sat down in 2019. Uh, I think we were in Houston, and he was back home rehabbing. And we got to go to lunch, and he just told me everything. And he was just seemed like he was just in such a dark place at that time. So I'm just happy to see him back doing what he loves to do and, and playing well. How how how's the wife and the boys doing? Everybody's good. You know, I. I I had them fly out here a couple of days early just to, you know, get back in the house and get set up and, um, you know, get their COVID tests and all that stuff. And then, you know, when we landed in Oakland, my wife picked me up. We got home and it felt like old times. Um, kids love coming here. They've always loved coming here, but they've grown up a little bit. So they're watching baseball and, and paying attention a lot more. And, um, you know, when we're back in Florida and when we go to Buffalo, you know, my mornings usually consist of throwing batting practice to them now. So they, they're going to love you know, playing the league and, and growing up around baseball. 
so so they're starting to realize dad's dad's kind of a big deal. Yeah, a little bit. Not as big as Bo Bichette some days. But <laughs> <laughs> my my four year old is he's already got his front toe, um, you know, just like Bo's. I said, Where'd you get that? He said, That's what Bo Bichette does. But you know, when you ask him who my four year old his favorite player is, it's still dad for now, so I'm happy. Well, hey, let me tell you, there's something I've said on the postgame show the past couple nights. You know, don't be shocked if Marcus Simeon plays for the A's again. There's just something about guys that Billy Bean and David Forrest, if they like you, there's always a chance you could come back. But I just want to thank you the way you treated me all these years. Uh, you were nothing but class, and, and, and we are rooting for you. You know you're always going to be a part of this A's family. Thank you so much for everything you did for all of us. I appreciate it, and thank you for all the kind words. And, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll, we'll meet up again. All right. Be well. Be safe, Marcus. You take care. All right. Have a good one. Cole, it's great to have you back on the program. Uh, how have you been? I've been I've been great. Uh, the go-karting session uh, that we last had was, was great. Had a great time uh, with my future brother-in-law. And then uh, – yeah, right now I got donuts in my car, so I feel like every time we're on the show, there's there's always something going on, or I'm doing. Yeah, you 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 always have something special going on when we have you. So is it like the full thing of donuts, or is it just one type of donuts? What kind of donuts did you pick up for the guys? It's it's three dozen assorted donuts for for the for the guys or for the day game. I'm a sprinkles guy. Do you got any with sprinkles okay. in there? Oh yeah, we got pink sprinkles. We got chocolate sprinkles. We got what, what kind of sprinkles you need? We got it. <laughs> well, you just just talk about the ride you're on right now. It's just phenomenal, especially your last start. You were you were just fabulous. What's it like for you right now? Um, you know, I, I feel like everything's on on all cylinders, and and I'm uh, and I'm just trying to maintain that 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 mentality of 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 having something to prove and uh and i still feel like it's there it's still weighing on me that i got something to prove and um you know and 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 in wave terms um i feel like i feel like i've been on this wave down over at maverick so um and it's just it's 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 a big one and it's still going and i'm trying to trying to stay on it for as long as possible because this is this has just been an awesome awesome ride so far um teammates have been great they've, they've helped me a lot really just to enjoy enjoy the moments and and uh really top pitching in between whether that be outings uh you know when each other's on the mound or or even just uh even in between innings of what we're seeing um, i know bass is not afraid to tell you what he sees and it's been it's been great you know, it was Sean Manaya, I, I believe, after his start against the Houston Astros when you guys were in Houston, where after the game he talked about, I'm going out and pitching with conviction. And it's made me think a lot about that. And I think about your last start. You pitched with total conviction. I mean, it was fastball. It was changeup. It was challenging guys. It was going after hitters. It's pounding the strike zone. So talk about that. Talk about how you are pitching with total conviction right now. You're out there to win. Absolutely. I mean, I'm the, I'm I'm out there to get the guys back in the dugout. That's that's my job. Um, 
and you know the biggest thing for me right now is being able to pitch inside with um with conviction and i'm i'm having a really good time just throwing to my glove side and and it's been uh just one of those one of those deals where I'm, I'm trying to just maintain that consistency and, and something that I've always had in my career and, and lost a little bit over the past two seasons. And, and uh, you know, just all the off-season work, everything that I've been doing, doing thus far has, has really obviously helped. But uh, throwing the glove side has been the biggest biggest thing for me um, when you talk about conviction and, and my execution. is That's been the, the absolute game changer for, for the way I've been throwing the ball. You know, I like to say all the time on the show that there's certain organizations that are known for certain things, and the A's are known for pitching. This is a pitching organization. Uh, Scott Emerson, I think, is brilliant. You know, what he does with you guys mechanically, but what he also does with you guys mentally. Just talk about how just coming to Oakland has helped your game. I mean, really, the the whole coming to Oakland has been has experience has been amazing um to to say it at the very minimum um but to kind of grow build into that is i've been able to be myself i had to kind of prove to the team that that i came in to earn a job and whether that be out of the bullpen or or as a starter and then then a starting role opened up and and you know there hasn't been too much uh there's been a lot of talking about pitching and, and and ways to go about hitters and uh, not necessarily about mechanics or or why uh, I'm, I might not be throwing this hard or, or that hard or why this pitch isn't moving, you know, at X axis or Y axis. It's hey man, we know that you can execute pitches and and we want you to continue to do so and we want you to continue what you're doing right now and and whatever we can do to facilitate that to make you better. Um, right now is has been the conversations and and uh it's been it's been a really awesome experience just the transition to a new team you never know how that's going to go um and you always expect the best but um you know sometimes uh i've heard i've heard other stories and so for me i've just been blessed with such a great coaching staff um you know good teammates and and everyone's wanting uh, each other to grow and, and build off one another and each other start. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, Bass threw great last night. So, um, and, and it's just been, it's just been a, it's been a cool thing just to be a part of because everyone cares about one another and that's, that's, that's unique. Yeah. That's something we've always talked about around here is just how special the chemistry is in the clubhouse with the A's and, mm-hmm. Oakland for many years has been the land of opportunity where you're going to get an opportunity. There's so many guys are going to get an opportunity. So many guys are going to get an opportunity who may not get an opportunity somewhere else. And and I think about Scott Emerson, you know, what's your relationship like and what's it been like with the the pitching coach? Yeah. Emo and I got a great relationship. We, we, um, you know, we, both in North Carolina. Um, unfortunately, didn't get to meet when I got, first got traded. I, I tried throwing a bullpen session in front of them um, before we got to camp just so we can meet and have lunch afterwards. And um, so it ended up not being able to do that. But come to find out, his his brother is uh, is now works at the golf course 
that I regularly play at and where I live back home. So I think we're going to see each other a lot more in the off season. So all those conversations, uh, that relationship just, just has been great. It's, it's flourishing. It's, it's growing. Um, but more so it's, it's the conversations in between outings, it's the conversations in my sessions, bullpen sessions, um, leading up to the game or, or in between outings. And it's about, you know, what, what I can do a little bit more of or, or what I what I am not doing in the bullpen that I'm doing in the game. And, and so it's just trying to keep, treat everything like the game and, and keep it um, consistent with how I've been pitching. And like today, for instance, I got a bullpen that's going to be a, um, you know, I'm going to focus a little bit more on my slider and curveball because I haven't thrown those nearly as much as I did early in the season. Um, so it's, it's more so trying to keep it, you know, have conversations with him. Like, hey, what do you think we need to be working on right now? Because it's um, you want to continue to grow as a player for sure. Well, and I know everybody loves playing for Bob Melvin, and he was asked the other night after your start about your position in the starting rotation, and he said he's not a seat warmer. He's in the rotation. And he basically said you've been the best starter uh, so far this season for the A's. What does that mean to you? It means I got more work ahead of me, and uh, it means, <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be cliche when I say that, but it, it does. Um, you know, there's there's no easy teams in the major leagues, and so you know, every time out, I got to bring my best stuff, and if I don't have it, I got to learn how to battle. And and uh, for for a team like we mentioned, like you mentioned earlier, of, of giving opportunities, you know, I, I've earned my opportunity, and I'm not trying to lose it, and so. Um, I want to continue to pitch well and, and continue to, you know, prove to the prove to the front office and, and uh, you know, the coaching staff that they can trust me every time out. And when we get to the postseason, I want that ball um, to win us some games and, and hopefully hold that trophy over our head. And uh, that's been a goal, a lifelong goal of my, of my life. And uh, there's no reason why the work ahead of me and, and the work that I've earned to this point shouldn't be continued and and uh that's where that chip on my shoulder is coming from is is there's always something to do there's always something to prove and and i was given a reason why um why i why i should be in the big leagues and and that's really um <laughs> i think that's really a, a a bad thing for hopefully uh my opponents because I, I was given a reason why i couldn't pitch in the big leagues and I, and I saw the way out and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be out and I wasn't pitching well. And, and I, I got a definite chip on my shoulder with, with a reason why I should be here. And, and, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and I'm going to try to ride that wave. All right. Do you realize if we were doing this interview like a month ago, I'd be talking about how you guys can't hit, you guys can't pitch, you can't beat anybody. You're owing six. And now we're having this conversation with the best winning percentage in all in baseball. When you talk about riding this wave, just how crazy has this wave been where you went from you can't win a game to now you're the best team in baseball? Well, I know this. I know. <laughs> I know. I know there's, there's really no waves in the Bay Area, but for whatever reason, this side of the Bay is absolutely ripping right now. Um I think I think the whole Bay Area is ripping. I mean, we got the guys across the Bay from us that are playing well too, playing good baseball. So, um, 
for whatever reason, we, you know, we're playing really well. And, and you know what, the camaraderie on this team is, is something I've never been a part of. And uh, I, I think that attributes to a lot of it. And we never feel like uh, we're out of a game. We never feel like, um, you know, even when we get it handed to us from time to time, you know, even early in the season, we never, we never lost our commitment to each other. We never lost our commitment to just playing the game as it should be and, and understanding that we got 162 and um, yeah, we feel good right now, but we want to, we want to continue to ride this ship and, and win the division. And there's, I mean, well, for whatever reason, like I said, is, is this Bay area is absolutely ripping. It's got some great waves and we're all catching them. So it's a lot of fun. So it's your fiance. Who's the surfer. Oh yeah. She's definitely the surfer. She's definitely the surfer. We went to Costa Rica in December and she brought her board. She surfed and, um, you know, we just had a, had a good time down there. And, uh, but yeah, no, she's, she's the surfer. She's actually, uh, potentially going to be covering the Japan, uh, Japan pro, um, sometime in July, uh, for the world, uh, or so yeah, for the world surf league. So that's going to be cool. Yeah, I used to surf in high school, and then I just at some point in my life, Cole, I just realized it's just too much work. <laughs> it's exhausting. It is. I mean, it's exhausting. Paddling back out over again. Oh, I go out there just to paddle, and by the time I get past the first break, I'm going, oh no, um, um, yeah, I got to sit out here for a little bit, and then I look, I, and then I feel like I look like a beached whale. So, um you know, for, for a shark, like I look like a healthy snack out there. So I, I, that's when I decide to paddle it in. Yeah. I'm, for, be, I'm better off. I'm better off in a boat catching tuna or, or whatever else is out there. I like being in a boat, but surfing, uh, just, I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave that to Kristen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm originally from San Diego. So every all-star break, I'll get a beach house down there and, and, and I'm at a point where I just put my kids on boogie boards and I help them ride <laughs> ride waves, and I'm like, I'm good. I, I don't need to go all the way out again. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, that that's and Kristen went to and and surfed at uh, University of San Diego. So, um, you know, she she's got a lot of experience with it, and and uh, she's cracking up at, at at the lingo I'm trying to use. But she's she's trying to help me in the best way possible too. But. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun, and and I enjoy going out with her. But at the same time, I <laughs> at the same time, I know where I know where I need to stop. Well, I I gotta tell you, it's it's been a treat ever since we got to meet you, and to see what you did in spring training, to see what you're doing now, it, it's been fantastic to watch. And I can't thank you enough for baseball games that are two hours and 18 minutes because you pound the strike zone and uh, we're not sitting here for three and a half to four hours. So thank you for that. Keep up the great work, keep winning and you're doing a wonderful job and congratulations on this unbelievable start. Be safe and be healthy. Awesome. Thanks for having me on the show. And yeah, I'll try to keep those games short. Like you asked. Mark, it is great to have you on the program once again. Congratulations to a great start of the season, and you and your teammates, uh, it, it's turned into a very good year so far. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Thanks. And just take us through yesterday as you had the front row seat for an unbelievable catch from Ramon Laureano. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that was incredible. Ramon just kind of took over that game and, and, 
he does that from time to time. He'll do that. So uh, it, it's it never, even though I'm never surprised, it it also um, it's also amazing to watch that guy do what he does on a seemingly regular basis. How many times in your career have you seen one guy take over one inning the way he did yesterday with the catch and then the home run? Not often. Not often does that happen. Um, maybe Matt Chapman a, a couple of times I could think of. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome way to finish that game yesterday. And you had some great catches also yesterday out in left field. Yeah, thanks. Um, it was uh, kind of a, just some tricky balls hit out there. I had a lot of tough ones yesterday, and I, I made a couple of them and didn't make another couple of them. What? So it's, uh, those sinking liners are always a tough one. Oh, there's no doubt about it. And then we always talk about it, it's it, it, for some reason it's hard to see the ball in the air in Oakland. I have no idea why. Do you have mm-hmm. an idea? Well, I don't know about seeing it right now being hard, but it's it's pretty gusty lately. A lot of w- windy days we're having, so it's it's just um, the ball's kind of dancing around in the air out there a lot, and it's it's just hard to to kind of get comfortable day to day with with how the ball's flying because um, it's always it always seems like it's doing something different. You know, I remember when we talked to you in spring training and Bob was kicking around the idea of you leading off. And I know we talked about uh, you at Bellarmine had uh, Coach Cunningham had led you off before. And just to think your, mm-hmm. OP, your OPS right now is 806. You're on base percentage is 389. It just seems like a natural fit for you. What has it been like leading off? I mean, it's taken some getting used to, but but now I feel like, you know, we're a month in. I'm, I'm kind of settled in I'm, I'm comfortable doing it and uh you know I I it's it's easy to see how how I can when I'm when I'm doing the doing it well and doing what I do how the team kind of feeds off that and I and I'm uh I'm proud of the, the, the job I've been doing so hopefully I can keep it up by the way, you were absolutely hilarious yesterday when you get hit and you go to first base. And for some of us who are following it, knowing that you're breaking the, the Oakland record of Sal Bando, and when you got to first, and I don't think a lot of people yeah. in the ballpark knew what was going on, but when you tipped your cap, we were all laughing no. up here. Nobody was paying attention. Nobody <laughs> knew what was happening. Uh, but I, it made it that much funnier when there was no response. And I, and I just kind of – so I kind of – directed it towards the towards our dugout and I, I think our guys thought it was funny so at least I got I got that what got them going yeah Vince Catroni was like what do you do do you like get the ball for him or <laughs> how oh, do you I celebrate have the, I have the ball you do okay yeah. <laughs> you know I think of a rec like the one record you don't want to have because you know we're in the era of everybody throwing 95 plus miles an hour and to get hit this many mm-hmm. times I mean people need to realize it hurts a lot yeah, I mean, it hurts a little bit, but luckily I've I've been fortunate to not get it in any bad spots that have caused an injury or caused me to miss any time. So, uh, you know, as long as you don't get it in the head or, or the wrist or something, it's it's all good. You know, and I'm getting on base, so you know, and that I, helps too. And I think about your game. You're not a guy that crowds the plate. I mean, you're, it's not like you're like right up on it like Craig Biggio was. Why do you think you get hit uh, so much? I, I do get close. 
Um, I'm, I am closer than most guys, but yeah, not like all over it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't move either. So like if the ball, if I see a breaking ball that's from a left hand or something or, or a fastball out of the hand, I, I just stand there and take it because, you know, I know that's, that's part of, uh, part of what I do. That's part of my game. And, and it's part of the reason that I am valuable to this team. So, um, you know, it is what it is and, and I'm going to keep doing it. When you get up on the plate, then are, are you daring right-handers to come inside on you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't, um, I think it, it, I've noticed it does make pitchers uncomfortable when, when I get on close to the plate, not all pitchers, but some guys, it, it'll make them a little fidgety and uncomfortable. And, and if I can make them, you know, lose command a little bit because it's something that's just so simple as getting closer to the plate, then, um, then I'm giving myself an advantage, or at least that's, that's how I look at it. You know, today's going to be a special day because a guy who's a really good friend of yours, who you played in college with, you played in the big leagues with, I know you guys are tight. Marcus Simeon, Bay Area native, is coming back to play here mm-hmm. at the Coliseum. What do you think that's going to be like tonight? Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be like a homecoming. Um, I, I think everyone in the clubhouse will be happy to see him, and and uh, it'll be weird. It'll be weird, to be honest. I mean, I, I've, my whole career that I've been in the major leagues, Marcus has been on the same team as me, except this being the first year, that's not the case. And uh, it'll be strange playing against him, honestly, I think. And but I, But I look forward to seeing him, of course. Yeah, he meant so much to this team. You know, what he overcame with the airs at shortstop to become one of the better shortstops in the league. And he was the kind of guy that came out and worked so hard every single day. He was really a leader by example. Just what was it like to have him as a teammate? I mean, obviously you guys were so close, but the way the way he rubbed off on everybody, and he was a great Oakland A. Yeah, it's just um, he really um, – you know, the tangibles, you know, you can talk about all the numbers and, and all the great things he did. And, but I think he just the culture that, that he kind of helped create here. Um, he was probably the biggest piece to, piece of the puzzle to, to kind of creating that, that competitive yet laid back culture that we have here that, that I feel makes us so strong every year. Yeah, it's uh, he. He was a special guy, and he he is definitely going to be missed. We always appreciate the time, and and by the way, happy birthday to to your youngest. Oh, thank you, thanks, Tony. It always goes by quick, my man. Enjoy it while enjoy it while they're young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a blast. The fatherhood is the best. Well, be well, be safe, and we'll talk soon. All right, see you, Tony. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live is the Hall of Famer. He's a three-time World Series champion, a six-time All-Star, a three-time AL Cy Young Award winner. He won a gold glove. He led the league in wins, ERA, and, of course, inducted to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1990. Jim, how are you? It's great to have you back on the program. Well, I was going pretty well. I mean, actually, it was four gold gloves. I, I never won one until they <laughs> traded Jim Cott to the National League. <laughs> yeah, he won yeah. 16 in a row. That's, right. <laughs> that's how good he was. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, you know, you know, we miss seeing you. 
Oh, I know. We miss seeing a lot of things, don't we? Yeah, we do. We do. Hey, Jimmy, I want to ask you, because in today's time, obviously there's no complete games. Shutouts is the big uh, controversy now as far as it's a seven-inning shutout. Does it count as a shutout? And they're doing that. But Bumgarner's no-hitter for seven innings doesn't count. But take us back to 1965 when you came up to the Orioles, but then also in 1966. You're 20 years young. How about that? 20 years, and you're facing the Dodgers in the World Series? Well, not only that. I mean, I'm facing Sandy yep. Koufax. I yep. don't think anybody – I think he was 25-7 and seven that year with about a 195 <laughs> ERA. He didn't pitch game one. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting in your first World Series. We, You know, I got to the big leagues when I was 19. I kind of had to stay there, and I thought they'd send me out, but I stayed all year. And we, we won 94 games, but the Twins won 102. And, 65 then they would lose to the Dodgers in the World Series Koufax would mm-hmm. would really dominate the uh, the World Series as he did I mean because he was you know <laughs> he was Sandy Koufax um, so he because of the Jewish holidays Don Drysdale um, uh, started game one and Dave McNally who would eventually win 20 games for us four years in a row he started game one against uh, Drysdale in in Los Angeles at Chevrolet Ravine and you know you're 19 years old or just turned 20 and I'm, I'm sitting on the bench and thinking geez you know and then you're thinking okay what do i want to do tomorrow you know we'll see how today goes and then brooks and frank robinson hit home runs in the um, in the first inning and you know as somebody that's 20 and we'd gotten there and it said you know al uh, loop loop leaders uh you know <laughs> went, you know in town to play the dodgers and yep. you know it was no big deal and um uh, you know and, and then you know mcnally struggles he you know as as the famous uh um, uh, columnist, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Bert Murray writes, he said, you know, the last time you, you saw a, uh, a pitcher stop the, the Dodgers running, running game, it was by walking the bases loaded. And that's what Dave McNally did. And then <laughs> Mojabowski came in and struck out 11 and six and two thirds innings. And yeah. I'm sitting on the bench and I'm saying, geez, they got a little, uh, little trouble with a high fastball. Now, Mo also had a great breaking ball and he threw a lot of strikes. He could throw the ball low and away with the best of them. And I'm, but I'm sitting there, so at least gave me some kind of confidence. But I'm going to face Koufax. And to be honest, all I wanted to do is not embarrass myself. And Jim Palmer embarrassing himself back then <laughs> would have been walking a bunch of guys and you know, maybe not getting hit that much because I threw so hard enough where that didn't happen. But, you know, all you have to do is walk a couple of guys, as you know, Ray, as sure. well as anybody. And then it's not – it's not. everybody says, well, walk, walks kill you. I always thought it's what happens after yeah. you walk. The guys is really important. And as it turned out, I pitched my first shutout. Willie Davis dropped a couple of fly balls. Sandy pitched great into the fifth inning. It was nothing, nothing. I always kind of wonder because we would win six to nothing. First shutout ever, you know, happened to be, you know, in, in a World Series game when you're 20. You know, yeah. this guy to ever do that, I guess. And still, still, uh, I did broadcast the 81 World Series even when I was playing. And I'm, if Fernando pitches a no-hitter in 81 which he, or a uh, shutout, which he was doing quite regularly, he would have been a little bit younger than me, but he gave up three runs in the first inning. I usually didn't root when I did national <laughs> telecast, but I was kind of rooting for him to give up a couple of runs. But we won, and you know, and then we went back to Baltimore, and Wally Bunker, who had been rookie pitcher of the year and had some injuries in 64, now we're in 66. He wins one nothing. McNally comes back, beats Drysdale, a couple of solo, solo home runs in games three by Blair and then Frank Robinson, and you walk out of the stadium four games later and you're world champs. Yeah. And as you know, it's never – I mean, you look back and you say, geez, was it easy? But it really happened very quickly. Jimmy, you, you know the, the one thing that in today's world they say, well, so-and-so's pitching 
and your face. You, these guys don't face because of the designated hitter in American League. What was it like facing Sandy Koufax? You mean as a as, know, as a hitter? You mean as, as, a, hitter, as a well, you know, I'm on deck. I'm on deck, right? So Andy Etch you know, Etch was a bonus kid out of La Puente, you know, Southern California, Orange County, and yeah, you know, I don't know, he got seventy five thousand dollars to sign or something like that. And he had, you know, he had a little kind of kind of turn the bat. Imagine your your the bats over your right shoulder because he was right handed hitter and. The bat kind of pointed just a shade towards the pitcher. Well, so I'm on deck, and he, you know, Koufax throws him. Sandy throws him a high fastball, and he, you know, he thinks about swinging at strike one. Throws him another high fastball. Thinks about swinging at strike two. Throws him another high fastball. Thought about swinging at all three, and you know, he didn't. He couldn't get the bat going because um, Sandy, you know. So I go up to home plate, and as I'm walking up, I said, "Radio boss." He said, "What?" I said, "You could kind of <laughs> hear him, but you couldn't see him." And I get up there, and I, you know, I won my first game in the big leagues with a home run off of Jim Bowden. But, but Jim Bowden was a pretty good pitcher for the Yankees, but he wasn't Koufax. So he throws me the first fastball. And I used to use Frank Robinson's R161 because uh-huh. I figured if anybody's going to have good wood, it would be Frank That's Robinson right. on his way to almost 600 home runs and That's triple right. crown and all that stuff. We all use so, Reggie's. <laughs> Koufax, yeah, Koufax throws me the first fastball. It starts in the lobby and it ends up on about the third floor. And I'm saying, whoa, wow. wait a minute. So now. You know, you know, I mean, you face guys that had this kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe sudden Sam McDowell, you might you caught, you probably caught sudden Sam McDowell in, in Cleveland. Yeah. But anyway, so now I figured, okay, I, I better get ready. So, you know, I cheat a little bit with the fastball and he throws me a pitch. that looks identical. And, and next thing you know, Rose Burrell's catching it on the ground. Wow. That was the, uh, that was the lobby curveball that looked like a fastball that was going to the third store and, and, and ended up wow. in the, uh, in the lower lobby or the lower basement. You know, that's how good his curveball was. Amazing. And, you know, I think anybody that faced Koufax, everybody used to say he was pretty comfortable, except you, 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 until you looked at the box score the next day. And then you said, gee, that wasn't too comfortable, was exactly. it? Five no-hitters and, yeah. you know, a bunch of strikeouts and, you know, 300 and some innings and, you know, an ERA usually around two runs a game. There is nobody that has a memory better than Jim Palmer. Short-term, long-term, it doesn't matter. I mean, facing Koufax. I know. I, that's the reason I wanted to bring it up because you're facing Koufax. You know, Jimmy, the, the one thing – you know, you're talking about the walks. You know, I, I know that I'm jumping ahead because I, I know you would probably mention this before, but I want to ask you, over 300 home runs, not much over, what, 303, something like that in your career, never gave up a grand slam. Why? Well, Tim Kirchin, he used to write for the Baltimore Sun. Now he, you know, does ESPN, um, you know, baseball mm-hmm. tonight and does some games for him and whatever. He probably five, six years ago, you know, when you actually could go on the field and talk to the players and the yeah. managers and, you know, get kind of do, do your homework, uh, you know, the way we've always done it right, traditionally. Right yeah. um, and I'm down on the field about four o'clock in Camden Yards in Baltimore and Tim's there and he comes walking across and, you know, I mean, I've known him for years because he was a beat writer for the Baltimore Sun. And he says, Cakes, uh, he said, the boys in Bristol, uh, said you won't know what you know what this is, and with that he takes a little piece of paper out of his back pocket, and there's 13 names on it. And I look at him and I said, must have been the guys I walked with the bases loaded. <laughs> he said, I told him you, I told him you would know, you know, that. And I said, no, 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 Tim, I don't really remember. I mean, I remember walking guys with the bases loaded, but it was the only logical answer to the least piece of paper he gave me. So apparently, I walked 13 guys with the bases loaded. So I walked in 13 yeah. runs. And I don't know, were you any good at math? Because I was. And I always felt that one was a lot better than four. Well, you know, you know, and, and, and thinking ahead to what Buck Showalter did, 
with Barry Bonds. Oh, he intentionally yeah. walked well, him with the bases loaded. I mean, obviously different than what you did, but he, as he said, I would give up one, but if he hits it out, it is four. Well, no, you're right. I mean, not that I think in today's game, you know, if I pitched in Camden Yards, I would have been a different pitcher. Yeah. Number one, I would, I don't know. Everybody says, well, I, you know, you probably couldn't have pitched in this year. And I said, well, ah, I might have been able to figure it out. I mean, I, I, <laughs> the Orioles certainly aren't as good as the teams that I played on. But, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, if somebody told me you need to, instead of getting 27 outs, you know, we'll be real happy if you get 18 outs. Isn't that amazing? Um, and I would say, now I don't have to go back to AAA in Rochester, you know, because that's what would have happened. <laughs> sure. If, if you went to Earl Weaver and you were one of the four starters and you, you know, you guys had that kind of staffs and, I mean, even in Cleveland a little bit, and especially in Oakland. If you had said, well, you know, hey, I'm going out there tonight. I'm going to get you maybe 18, 19 outs. They were saying, what are you talking about? Yeah. But the game's changed. You know, they look at the numbers. You know, you just saw last night John Means. Now, John Means, I mean, his ER, he, he gave up two runs and his ERA went up. That's how well he's been right. pitching. And, um, you know, he's but he's a guy, if you look at his first, second, and third time through the lineup, he's an anomaly because third time, is better than the first time. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, Rich Hill, you know, he had those kind of numbers in the World Series. They made out of a 17 or 18. And Dave Roberts, third time through the lineup, you're gone. And, you know, it used to irritate the heck out of him. So, sure. you know, we just had, we didn't have 14-man staffs. We didn't have nine guys in the bullpen. You know, we used to have, I mean, Davey Leonard was our long guy, you know, who had gone 16 and 4, 20 and 5, and 15 and 3, A-ball, double-A, and triple-A, had trouble making the club. He was waiting you know, to come in as a long man, one hitter in the middle of the pennant race after not pitching for two months. It's just a whole different era. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that our guys are any better. I just think, on that, you know, I mean, Lazardo's going to pitch today. I saw him pitch, what, last Sunday when, when right. he broke the streak. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to have a heck of a career if he stays healthy. You know, um, I mean, you know, he's got great stuff. He's got a good slider. He's got a pretty good changeup. I don't think he has a feel yet for right. when to throw him. So you're hoping that you know, between Murphy or whoever's catching that day. And Bob Melvin, of course, was great, you know, and Scott Emerson knows his stuff, that they're going to figure it out. But I was really impressed. I mean, he reminded me a little bit of uh, Johan Santana. That's that's probably who he reminded me the most of. Well, you know, Jimmy, the, the one thing Chris Townsend and I have talked about this, about Jesus Lazardo, and obviously catching Kenny Holtzman, who you know quite well, when he faced you guys in 73, 74, it was like 110 pitches, 109 just fastballs, BP fastball, yeah. back and forth, curveball. He just threw those two pitches, and that's all he did, and he won the game. What does it take for a pitcher who, it seems with Lazardo, is maxed out on everything, what does it take for him to back off a little bit and throw a BP fastball, especially in a, in a fastball count? Well, you'd like to think innings and experience. Yeah. And, um, I mean, look at, look at our closer. <laughs> You know, know, I don't know if you did. You do the game last night. Yes, I did. Yep. You wanted to jump out of the. You wanted to jump out of the booth. You wanted to move up in the box. You wanted to look for seventy-five. That's right. And you know, you wanted to do what Chapman did. I mean, you know, he's been the last two games. He walked two guys with a one-run lead, and and they actually the Yankees tied it up, and the Orioles won an extra innings the other night. And then last night the A's had two guys on, but nobody out. You know, trailing what three to two, and Mm -hmm. so you're kind of he's kind of living. I mean, you don't want to be walking that tightrope all the time, but but what. I think Lizardo, you know, if he stays healthy, I mean, incredible stuff. It looks like he has a great windup. I'm not sure you want to quick pitch people like he does. Right. I don't even know how old he was, 22, 23. Yeah. But because I don't think you need to do that. I just think if he learns to throw his fastball out of the middle of the plate, 
because you know as well as anybody, you know, catching all those years, the plate's 17 inches. Right. If you take the edge of the ball and you put it on the corner, you get that plate about 21 to 22 inches. And and the Kenny Holtzmans of the world right. and the Scotty McGregors, you know, Holtzman threw harder than him, but they both had fastball change-ups, occasional breaking ball. And the game becomes a little bit easier. It's never easy, but it becomes less difficult. So, you know, hopefully he'll learn that. Hopefully he'll be, um, you know, healthy. I mean, you know, if you look at Sean Manaya, it looks like he's kind of has a better idea now of what he needs to do to be successful. And of course, it's the key to him, right. as you know, is just to be, be be healthy. And if he does that, but I like the A's. So, you know, I like their ball club. I think they'll make some changes in their bullpen because they have a couple of guys at the back that, you know, don't match up with some of the other teams. But at the end of the day, they got a nice little ball club. I, you know, it, it, I, I'm not sure they're going to run off a lot of 13 game winning streaks. <laughs> but as you mentioned, uh, yeah. that, everything's got to kind of fall in place for that to happen. Right, Jimmy. In 1971, Palmer Dobson, Quayar McNally, four 20 game winners. Last time that ever happened, never happened again. You know, I caught three 20 game winners in '73, which was the last time that happened. Probably never happened again. What was that season like for you? A four man rotation. And the four of you, and what really ticked me off was you guys came into Cleveland. I don't know if you remember this or want to remember, but you guys took a picture in the bullpen of the four 20-game winners, and you guys hadn't won them yet. I'm thinking this weekend you're going to have your 20, 20 wins. <laughs> so you're taking well, the I mean, you know, And we did it in those ugly orange uniforms. It, well, yeah, uh, that's uh, right. But, yeah, you know, so it, it's even more, <laughs> you know, more ostentatious uh, display of what was to come. I was the last guy um, – I was the last guy to uh, win 20 on that Sunday. And, I, you know, I was kind of desperate. Yeah. <laughs> desperate. I think I ended up winning three to nothing. I'm trying to think of the bonus kid. out. Allen, right-handed pitcher, pitch, you guys got him from the Dodgers. Um, he was pitching. It was nothing, nothing. I mean, I hit a ball off Nettles' foot, hit him in the foot and hit him in the chin, and they gave him an error. I hit a ball out to left field. Pinson kind of short-legged it and went in between the left fielder. That was another error. And finally, I doubled down the line. I mean, it got thrown out going from second to third. I mean, I was I, – it, it was a badge, you know, kind of a badge of honor to win 20 games back then. And so I figured I'm going to be – you know, it's going to be three 20-game winners and Jim Palmer with 19. But as it turned out, I think we won um, – you know, we won 3 nothing, And uh, it was, was kind of do that. But, you know, the, 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 the greatest thing, we had a, one of the great pitching coaches of all time, George yeah. Amberton. And – George used to, on his hat, he used to put four little lines and then when, and then he'd put a line across them. And I said, we said, George, what is that? He said, well, those are your complete games. So every time we get to five, I, you know, I do the four little, you know, little, little marks and then that, uh, the hashtag across it. He says, cause I have a, uh, I have a $5,000 uh, bonus. If you guys get to 50, 50 complete games. Wow. Well, we pitched 70 complete games that year out of the four of us. And, um, <laughs> He never had the bonus. That was just George's way of trying to get us to motivate us. He was just telling us because he knew, and Ezra Weaver used to always tell you, you know, I don't know what some of the, your managers, Dick Williams or whatever, used to tell your guys. He said, but there, there aren't any guys out there that are better than you in the bullpen. So, you know, why don't you finish what you started? And the other thing is when I was 19, I roomed with Robin Roberts. Yeah. You know, Robin had 270 wins, 605 starts, 300 complete games. You know, used to win 22, 23, 25 games a year. Ended up in Cooperstown with 286. And 
I said, Robin, how'd you win all those games? He said, well, Jim, I pitch on Sunday and then I come back and relief on Tuesday. So I had a pretty good mentor when I, he was, he was twice my age. He was 38. I was 19. Wow. And he was there about two and a half months because he was trying to win 300 games and they took him out of the rotation and he went down to Houston. But when you get somebody and you know, I don't know if you had a mentor catching wise, but if you get somebody that knows they're going to take that, you're going to take their job or somebody, a young pitcher like myself at 19 and they're still, um, you know, have enough class, have enough smarts to say, you know what, if I teach him, maybe, you know, down the road, he can teach other people. And that's yeah. what Robin Roberts did for me. And uh, what, a, you know, the, obviously he's passed away, but what a wonderful man who taught me how to pitch. Jimmy, it's really easy. You rock back. you got a great arm. I hope you're un- smart enough to understand that. you got a fastball you can throw for a strike. you got a fastball you can throw for a ball. Same with your breaking ball. Good luck. Yeah, that's some great <laughs> advice. You know, uh, it was Chris. It was perfect. Chris Townsend just did a wow when you said fifty complete games. You know that made. made I mean, 70, think about 70 that. Seventy complete games. He wanted us to pitch. Well, oh, he wanted. How so many did you have? Well, we had seventy. You know. Seventy. We'll be lucky to have five. <laughs> oh, because there's seven. No, we yeah, seven yeah, innings. If you get five, you've had a real good year, and we're not <laughs> counting the double yeah. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's funny. You t- you know, Ray, you talked about the no hitter. And listen, hey, you know, Bob Garner really pitched a great game. And, and you know, we've had a couple of, reg, you know, normal no-hitters. And, you know, my only no-hitter was against the A's in 69. And, you know, I'd been under the Sable list. I came back, you know, no, no rehab, 52 days under the Sable list, six innings, shut out innings against the Twins, and then 150 pitches and, and, and got a bunch of runs and, and beat the A's with her no-hitter in Baltimore. But it, now it's, it's, just, it's, it's just kind of strange the way – it, you know, they count. We used to always count the pitches, yeah. but now, I mean, 95 pitches and guys are, you know, they're kind of, you know, it, it, it's kind of like you're leaning towards the dugout. <laughs> you know, back yeah. then, I mean, I still remember, you know, when, when Weaver would tell, give you the ball, I put it in your locker. He goes, don't be, don't be looking, don't yeah. be looking into the dugout, yeah. you know? Oh, uh, you know, it's just that the game has changed a little bit. And, you know, I guess, you know, again, the analytics are telling you, Hey, we'll bring in somebody that's better. But just think about it, Ray. If you got paid for wins, yeah. do you want somebody else coming in? Thank you. You know, you think you need to do the job. And, you know, back then, maybe, maybe the, uh, I don't know, who knows? They, maybe the game's passed me by, but, and maybe the, game, the pitchers are better now. I will say this. If Mariana Rivera had been in our bullpen, I probably would have only pitched eight, to be quite honest. Or maybe, you know, if Eck had been out there or Raleigh, I would have said, hey, you know, Earl, Dick, whatever, whoever is managing – you know, I'm going to get you 24 outs, and then you can manage. Right. Yeah, Jimmy, what was it like? Uh, and, and I know this is kind of a loaded question. The, the manager Earl Weaver. I know playing against him, he seemed to be a fiery manager. You played for him. What was that like? Well, did you play for Dick Williams? Yes, I did. The was he a good guy? Was he a nice guy, or was he a really good manager? Uh, he was a great manager, but. You know, he was hard-nosed, which probably what made him such a great manager. Okay, so Earl Weaver, first of all, you know, he, we, we, he didn't have many meetings. We, we were losing some games in Milwaukee once, and he says, okay, everybody turn around and face the middle of the, uh, of the room. So we had to turn around in our schools, and he said, you guys don't want to win badly enough. He said, you know, uh, he, he, we're, not get, we're not scoring guys from third with less than two outs. He said, I never left a guy at third base um, you know, with less than two mm-hmm. outs. And Dave McNally, who won 20 games for us out of Montana for four, four times, said, yeah, but you never played higher in double-A. And we were never missed a beat. He said, <laughs> and the other thing is, he said, and this is 
the total <laughs> truth. He said, you know, the game's not over till you make the final out on the road. Yeah. You know, you get 27 outs, and I refuse to make the last out of the game. And, I, you know, we're sitting in County Stadium. You know, it's yeah. it's where Hank Aaron played, yeah. and Eddie Matthew with over 500 home runs. And, you know, Musial came in there. Probably Ted Williams played in an all-star game there, and I'm going – Babe Ruth, maybe Luke Gehrig, maybe DiMaggio, yeah. maybe some of the greatest players that ever played. Don't you think that maybe they made the last out of the game? And here's <laughs> our five, six manager telling me he refused <laughs> to make the last out of the game. So I raised my hand. And he goes, and we had this kind of relationship. He says, what do you want? Yeah. And I said, we all know why you never made the last out of the game, or they used to always pinch it for you. So anyway, with that, he told us that the meeting was over. So we had, we kind of had that relationship, but, but, but you got to think about it. You know, both of us ended up in the, the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, and when I got in the Hall of Fame, you know, you try to thank your parents and your little league coaches and all the people that helped you and, uh, you know, your teammates and, you know, I mean, just down the list. It's a bucket list of all the guys that helped you get to the Hall of Fame. But the one thing about Earl, you know, he, we had a love-hate relationship. He never shook my hand after I won because he said, what am I going to do when you lose? I said, well, how about getting them, next, you know, four days from now? How about that? That's a suggestion. And he goes, I'll do what I want to do. And I said, yeah, I know that. So, but anyway, but just think about it. You know, I got there, I hurt my shoulder. So I'm, I'm out half of 67 and eight. Earl takes over at 68. You know, he moves down Buford to left field, becomes one of the best leadoff guys. I get healthy. McNally wins 12 games in a row. His arms well. So, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, Frank Robinson had, had, had the concussion. Everybody's kind of, getting back to where we are. We got Rettman and Moten and Davey May. You know, we got about five or six guys that could play every day in the outfield. Got Belanger, Robinson with 16 gold gloves, Davey Johnson, eventually Gritch. And so we got really good teams. So you just, but think about the fact that Earl had one year deals from 68 all the way to 1980. Wow. And he gave me the ball every four days. Every four days, the ball was in my locker when I would come on the day I'm supposed to pitch. Now, we didn't get along. He was impossible. He wanted me, if I pitched 323 innings, he wanted me to pitch 330. If I pitched eight and a third, he wanted me to pitch, you know, a complete game. If I pitched, you know, nine innings and the game went 10 or 11, which we did do on occasion, pitch extra innings, he wanted me to do that. So he pushed me, he prodded me, but he gave me the ball every four days. And back then, as you know, we didn't make a lot of money. So World Series checks were really important. And you know what? Every year we went to spring training. I mean, I was really lucky. We had clubs that if we played well and we did what we were, you know, kind of studied to do coming up through the minor leagues, we had a good chance to win. Well, speaking of checks, Jim, you know, when I was growing up, if you went into <laughs> into a, a department store, there you were, jockey underwear. It, it was amazing. What was that experience like for you? I mean, it wasn't like you were a New York Yankee, but here you are in every department store and, and, and everybody's buying underwear because of you. What was that experience like? Well, I was trying to figure out a way that I didn't have to. You know, you, I got to Baltimore when I was 19. You know, I got married at 18. I was going to Arizona State. Got married at 18, you know, married in A-ball, get to the big leagues. You know, but didn't think I was going to, you know, the year we won the World Series, I thought I was going to the minors. Everybody got hurt in spring training. I went 15 games. Um, so, you know, you're always, and then I hurt my arm. And, you know, you bought a house. You're trying to, you know, you're making, 
you know, $7,000, 7,500, 15, yep. you know, you, you're not making a lot of money. And, you know, Reggie, Reggie played with us for in 76 and then got a big contract. But I, I was, I think smart enough to realize why I was winning a lot of games. I mean, I had some of the best teammates that ever played and not only the hall of famers, you know, not only the Brooks Robinsons and the Frank Robinsons and the, the Robin Roberts and the Eddie Murray's and the Cal Ripkins, but the, you know, Paul Blair with eight gold gloves and Belanger with eight gold gloves. And I mean, you name it, you know, always pitch with good staffs. Like to think that I had something to do with mentoring them after Robin Roberts taught me about doing that. But at the end of the day, I didn't want to leave Baltimore. You're raising your children. They're going to school. You know, you, you know, Baltimore back then, it was a great sports town. You had the Colts, you had the, you know, before they moved to Indianapolis, it was, you know, a great place to raise your kids. Uh, you know, 50 minutes from Washington, get on the train, you're in New York, two and a half hours, Philly, 90 miles. You got the uh, mountains, you got the bay, you got, you know, it was, it was a really nice place to live. So uh, I get a call instead of a speech, uh, Keith Morris from Sports Illustrated, hey, you want to be part of the underwear ads? And I was one of nine guys. Yeah. And they asked me to come back the next year. And then they took a year off. And then they said, we want to, you know, as the singular spokesperson, you know, you look good in the underwear, not as good as a model would have looked because they could have gotten guys that look a lot better than me. But see, the universal part of doing what I did for jockey was women buy men's underwear. 75% of men's underwear is bought by women back then. So they wanted somebody that looked decent enough. So when women saw the ads, they would say, oh, okay. And then men aren't threatened by baseball players because most men would like to have been able to do what I was lucky enough to do, you know, pitching the World Series, pitching all-star games, play Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. So I did about 20, 25 store appearance for Jockey, did the ads. Probably the best story, though, is Bill Farley. You know, I'm waiting for a car in Chicago on a Sunday, on a Saturday morning. It's a beautiful day. And this guy walks by and he goes, wait a minute, you're Jim Palmer. Hi, I'm Bill Farley. I own Union Underwear. We make 40% of the underwear in the United States, private labels, so on and so on. Big department stores. He said, he said, you know, one of the big mysteries in life is how Jockey, who has 8% of the market, everybody thinks they're the, <laughs> the biggest underwear house in the United States. And I looked at Bill, and I just met him, and I said, you know, obviously you have the wrong people working for you, Bill. <laughs> so he, he starts laughing. And I said, um, he said, no, no, you do a great job. I said, listen, I just I work with Bill Herman, who was the director of advertising. He was smart enough to understand the dynamic of baseball and you know, women buying underwear and blah, blah, blah. So I did store appearances. I met baseball fans, you know, underwear fans. You know, well, hey, try doing a Macy's appearance in downtown San Francisco in 1978 or 1980 with three or 400 people there. And people come in, you know, in underwear and raincoats and, you know, body stockings and purple hair and all that. So um, I had a good time. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, Hey, it was, but you know, I'd get on a plane because they did so much advertising and flight attendant who said, Hey, you're the, the, the middle guy in the third row. I said, I guess that's one way to, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, look at who I am, you know, and then, you know, you'd win 20 games and next year they said, Hey, that's an underwear model. And I said, yep, that's what I do. So <laughs> I actually, do. actually autographed, um, you know, my youngest or my oldest daughter's name, Jamie. And I, I wrote, I, you know, we used to have underwear posters to give away, you know, because Farrah Fawcett was doing underwear posters. So we, we'd raise the money for cystic fibrosis. I had, you know, a good friend who had two kids with CF and, you know, the life expectancy back there was about 12 years. Right. So I, I, to my oldest daughter, I go to Jamie, best wishes, dad. And then she and put it, hung it on her wall. So when she came home from school, 
she would get used to the fact that, I, yes, I was her father, but I also did underwear ads. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> hey, Jimmy, can't thank you enough for uh, your time, and I know there's so much that uh, could be talked about, but what a tremendous career and probably the biggest thing with what has happened. We miss seeing you. Miss seeing you come to the Bay Area. Miss seeing you in Baltimore. Well, tell everybody, hey, tell everybody, get their shots, stay, stay safe, wear your mask, and uh, maybe we'll get out of this and you know, we can get back to having a more normal life. And meanwhile, you know, you're, you're very lucky because, you know, Bob Melvin spent, I don't yeah. know what, about three years in, in Baltimore back in the early 90s. And one of, one of my favorite guys, we text all the time, um, you know, so it, it's hard not to, not to root. And, you know, I mean, I try, like I said, I try not to root for either the Orioles or the team because it's, it's baseball and the best team should win. But it's hard not to root for the uh, for the A's, and uh, you know, especially when Bo Mel is uh, managing the ball club, and he's such a good guy. So I hope they have a great uh, rest of the season, and, and everybody that watches them and roots for them will stay healthy. And, uh, you know, like I said, we can get back to a little more normalcy. That would be nice. You guys take care of yourself, too. All right, Jimmy. Well, Bob Melvin's the best just like you. So thanks for your time, buddy. Appreciate it. Okay. You, you're welcome, guys. Take care. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.